Hello and welcome to take three of the Film Fives podcast with me, Russell Guyver, and with him. Yeehaw! I've been waiting to do that. And Phil for Newman. me, Phil Newman. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Cotton Pippen? <laughs> Don't even try doing the racist <laughs> accent. It's just going to fail. <laughs> yes, as you might guess, we're doing Westerns this week. It's our third episode. We're going to pick our top fives and talk about plenty more besides, I'm sure, in the genre. That's the general remit for today. We're also going to talk a little bit about the awards that we touched on in, I think, episode one and what we're planning to do with our um, our own gongs awarded to uh, good films good acting etc more on that later on first of all phil how you doing you all right all good all good i've been loving watching westerns it's because it's not something you watch recently and it's having an excuse to just watch loads and loads and loads of westerns while you're stuck in lockdown why why did i not do this before <laughs> it's great yeah that's exactly the same for me. I, I haven't watched an awful lot of them recently, apart from the occasional new release. Um, and I did watch the Tom Hanks new one, actually. Um, News oh, of the World, of which the wasn't world. bad. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that yet. Yeah. Quite a solid film. Quite quite enjoyable. Recommended. Um, it's on Netflix, but, um, isn't it? Yeah, Netflix. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so there's the casual films like that coming out. But aside from that, I haven't really watched a lot of Western. Certainly none of the classics, which I've revisited in prep for this. And it's been most, good to tread over some old yeah, ground. I mean, yeah. most of the West, we'll probably get into this later, but the, over the last, I'd say, God, 20 odd years, the, the best Westerns I've watched have all been TV shows. So there's been some great, I mean, Deadwood was absolutely fantastic. Um, Godless, which came out a couple of years ago, that's on the, um, Netflix, that was really, really good. Westworld, mm. which is sort of a bit Western. There's another yeah. one called Hell on Wheels, which is really good as well. So there's been some cracking epic Western on TV, but not so much in the cinema. Yeah, that's true. It certainly is. And, so it's nice to go um, back and revisit quite a lot of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a, a large, broad canvas, isn't it? Um, pretty much like the landscape shot in a lot of the films. So there's there's plenty to talk about there. I mean, there's first of all, there's all about all about the archetypes, isn't there? Should we should we start with that? So, I mean, you've got I have everything. Go on. I mean, do you want to? Have you got a list of them? Uh, so yes. Oh, so, go on then. <laughs> courtesy of Wikipedia, obviously research done. So they they reckon that you can pretty much distill every Western plot, and I can't really disagree yeah. with this, into one of about half a dozen different themes. One, constructing a railroad, uh, which might well come up today uh two protecting the family ranch three revenge four outlaws five a lawman or a bounty hunter tracking a quarry or a sixth fighting native americans and i think you can pretty much put most westerns into one of those six categories yeah, it glitched slightly on the last one. Was that Native Americans, you said? Yeah, fight, yeah fighting Native yeah. Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's about right, isn't it? And and to expand on that, of course, you've got the notions of um, fried beans by an open campfire. You've got gunslingers. You've got bullets and shells and saloon bars and women dressed in elaborate dresses yeah. singing in saloon bars. And you've got uh, the bad guy in the black hat and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's loads there, of there are a lot of cliches. Yeah, exactly. You'd be surprised yeah. how prevalent so many of them are in so many films. Indeed, including a lot of the, the famous classics, um, which some of which um, we will definitely get onto in this. Um, I think also, I mean, there's the narratives are pretty cliched as well. As you said, you've pretty much touched on it all there with, with that list from Wiki. 
And the whole thing about, yeah, revenge, masculinity, all those sort of elements, yeah, isn't it? About I mean, the hero. female parts in Westerns, I, I, yeah, I'm sad to say, are rubbish. Great. Even yeah. in the classics, most of them have no little, if any, female parts whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And um, aside from that, I think... Yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing of um, being yellow bellied and that kind of thing yes. comes into it, doesn't it? And um, yeah, I mean shooting against the odds, and oh, there's there's so many there's so many archetypes. We've, we're probably too many to list here, really. Um, unless we want to make this a four hour special. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, doing doing a little bit of research into it, I did don't think I fully realised how popular the Western genre was. So basically, from the the inception of cinema in the early 20th yeah. century, literally from the first sign of films through to the end of the 60s, it is the most popular genre by an absolute county mile. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's the one that gets all the people in the cinema, and it and this is global. It's not just an American thing. All around the world, people are people are watching these westerns. You know. Yeah, it was the well. It, it's so undoubtedly linked to the history of America, isn't it? It's it's within their blood. It's within their DNA. It, the storytelling is is what the Western's all about, and storytelling as through cinema, it just comes up from that era, doesn't it? The end of the actual Western era, as it really was, is when film's starting or just yeah. about to start. So those stories, like the Wyatt Earp story, apparently, um, John, I think it was John Ford, actually met Wyatt Earp. And That's heard bad, some it? of the stories he was telling, um, as obviously an elderly man, I guess, at that point. And from that, he, he obviously had to take on merit what he was saying. So it is a fable or exaggerated story as anything is probably. But, um, those stories are relayed through and then obviously retold or reinvented through various different films in different eras. But as you said, it was always a popular genre. The great train robbery was it very early cinema. Yeah. Silent Cinema, one of the first films, um, features a, you know, exactly that. Um, it's always been there. It's always been popular. And for people growing up, even us growing up in England, and probably uh, you could say that for anyone else we, in the world. I mean, if you're anything like me, we were made to watch cowboy films by our dads. Exactly. That was, <laughs> that was their favourite because that's what they grew up on. Yeah. Christmas holidays and Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons, that kind of thing. It was it? World War Two films and cowboy films with your dad on <laughs> bank holiday. Exactly. It really is. It really is like that. It's those two things are the big staple diets, aren't they? Of they're, they're sort of films that seem to suit watching in the daytime as much as the evening. I think it just yeah. it just seems right, doesn't it? Especially the old westerns, obviously, as as we had them then. And yeah, I mean, I, I've seen countless numbers of them. I can't remember how many. I can't remember a lot of the ones I've seen. Um, who knows what they what they are? But I do remember the classics. I've seen them in more recent times, but not very recently. So I had to revisit and watch watch some of them again, and it was an interesting watch. And I understand. We'll get into this in more, but detail in a minute. But um, I understand you've um have a yeah. Some of them review. really haven't stood the test of time very yeah. well at all. And I'm not just talking. I mean, obviously, there's the the racist element, the sexist element, yeah. the, uh, um, all of that. But without even getting into that, some of it, if you just look now, it's it's quite difficult to take seriously. Uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be getting into this in more detail shortly. Yeah. And one of, one of the classic ones on that, actually, is Winchester 73 is a film where 
Um, I noticed, I looked, I haven't seen that for a long time. All I could really remember about it's it. It's one was, that follows the lifetime of a gun, doesn't it? That gets passed around. Exactly. Which is yeah. a good, in, interesting idea, actually. And that yeah. is probably a little bit different to the, to the usual Western. And that film features James Stewart in one of the edgier kind of Anthony Mann Westerns that he did, which is quite interesting roles for him. And it, yeah, as you said, it follows the story of this gun, which James Stewart's won in a competition in um, Dodge City. And Wyatt Earp actually features as a side character in that film, in fact. And, you know, the, the, the gun takes takes on a different um, path due to shenanigans, etc. And it goes on from there. But in the film, um, not only does Tony Curtis pop up, which I had no idea he was in there, really? um, listed as Anthony Curtis. I watched him. He just plays a cavalryman in a incidental role. But is that Tony Curtis? And it was. <laughs> but that had only happened about 15 minutes after I managed to spot someone I'd seen in the opening cast list, Rock Hudson, who, of course, yeah. is playing... A Native American, obviously, yeah. <laughs> that famous, famous Native American. There's a lot of actor, this. Rock yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, I mean, that's been. It's done. the same with the searchers. You look at the guy mm. who plays the, uh, the the lead Native American there. All, all yeah. of the other Native Americans, I believe, are played by Native American actors, but obviously the lead yeah. is a Caucasian male. Yes, perish the thought of giving some responsibility of any real notes to anybody that they look down on. Yeah. Yes. So um, I was just going to say, so in terms of sort of started in uh, kind of getting producing a list, I thought I kind of try and define a little bit more of what the the Western was. So we've spoken about the themes and it's Mm. basically it's uh, the genre set from just around about around about the start of the American civil war through Hmm. to probably just before the first world war so you've got a good sort of 60 odd years or so that most of the vast majority of these stories are set in so i decided and hopefully you decided something similar we're doing mine that i was only going to follow the traditional westerns from those Hmm. from that were set following those themes and that were based in those sort of particular times so that obviously ruled out back to the future three <laughs> <laughs> um it ruled out the sort of the uh the kind of neo-westerns like no country for old men i thought no um it ruled out any asian films like shanghai noon or good the bad and the weird um or anything like kind of related like from dust till dawn you could possibly argue as a western but i thought mm. no i'm just going to kind of go traditional and keep it within within that remit i'm presuming you did pretty much the same yeah yeah i mean we could we could try to be clever with this I, we will probably look touch on a couple of things like neo-westerns things like that but yeah all in all i've, I've gone with the same remit yeah yeah excellent yeah so what we're going to do in the rest of this first part is we'll um We'll probably just go into some details on some bits and pieces, but we're going to go down, counting down from our top fives from number five and number four in this first part, talking um, in, intermittently between our choices, uh, see where we are, where we're at. Um, and then after the break, we'll get into the top three of those five and also get onto some other subject matter, including that mention of awards we uh, discussed earlier. So, yeah, that's so the, the general plan. So, I mean, when we did the last episode, the top films of 2020, I managed to predict three out of five of your films. I've got no clue whatsoever of the Westerns because there's no Polish or French black and white Westerns that were <laughs> made in silently in 1989 or something like that. So I've got no idea whatsoever what you're going to be going for it. And I'm very curious to see 
<laughs> how similar our lists are. I know. I think I might, I might have to write write down my predictions actually for you and see if I can get there. Um, I don't. I reckon you you'll mean, get way, five though. out of five with me. I think. I think it's. I have gone boring on this, but the classics are the classics. There's no point being pretentious about it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and I don't know why you think I would. You know, some obscure <laughs> art house Swedish Western or something. There. No, no, we're going full on Western mode here. Um, so uh, yeah, I think. Um, shall I start then? So we'll go. Take it away. Yeah. Okay. So my number five. Um, I've I pretty much had a, a rough idea of my top five from early on. It was down to about seven or eight in the end. Um, from which I found this bit the only bit that was really hard to choose. I has, I was really tussling between um, Unforgiven and Rio Bravo at number five. Um, in the end, I've decided to go for Rio Bravo. Yeah. And I don't know. he's already disappointed um (laughs) unforgiven it's obviously a great revisionist western we might talk about that in a while we'll see in a minute um but rio bravo which actually i did watch last night which maybe has given it a bias of salt i don't know it's a film i love i love howard hawks films they're brilliant um it's got a lush color set set to it and the, the palette is beautiful it's got Classic John Wayne era, John Wayne, you know, he's kind of like getting on a bit. Um, it's got um, the classic scenario of Hood in jail, trying to protect the sheriff and his deputies, trying to protect the jail. You've got Dean Martin as the alcoholic trying to come down, going cold turkey, you know, like a colossal hangover that seems to permeate the whole narrative of the film. Um, what you've got is one of the sidemen, the great sidemen characters of film and westerns in particular walter brennan who plays this guy who's got this kind of accent books like this all the time he's, he's the comedy foil basically yes. um but he is wonderfully entertaining in that for me i'm it's almost to the point of being too much but it's just about stays on the right side of it it is a caricature of, for sure but he adds a lot of comedy value to it in a good way it's got a lot of lushness. I think to quite it. a lot of westerns do do have a comedy because so much of yeah. it is bleak and depressing. Exactly. Yeah. It, they they have to have some sort of outlet to stop you. You know. Yeah, and you've you've got to have those those characters in there. Yeah, I mean it, it adds it does add some density to the to the plot and to the story, and there are some really good laughs in there as well. Um, it's got a pretty. Uh, sexy lead lady angie dickinson it is as you've alluded to earlier a kind of a side role very much a typical female character in westerns that i, I can't really apologize for that one because it's just you know it is what it is isn't it yeah. it's of the age so we have to just go with the flow on that we can't do anything about what was no. what was what then but it is um it's a, it's a film that's got a lot of detail to it it does cover a lot of themes it covers the notion of um masculinity for for sure particularly dear martin because he's he's this man who can't seem to function without alcohol and he's struggling until he's not he's this guy who's who's basically a figure of fun at one point they say you've just got a drunk and a cripple helping you out um because walter brennan's character is called stumpy because he's got a bad leg and everything else you know it, it's all it's again it's it's a classic out and out cliche but it's I, I just found it's a very endearing film. It's very typical, I think. It's probably in there deliberately as the most representative Western for me. It's just, it, it encompasses so many things that other Westerns do. And I think it 
are just using this as the as the means for this is probably why I picked it over Unforgiven as as the means to represent a number of different kind of Western archetypes, both in terms of story and in terms of the details. Um, it's not a short film, actually. I think it's um, I think it's over not two many hours westerns long. are. I don't. I, I no. mean, you're watching this. Pretty much every single film that I can't remember any other two hours, and some of them top in three hours. Winchester seventy three is is about um, hour and a half, I think. Yeah, hour twenty nine, I think. Mm. But no, the point stands though; they're usually pretty long. So it's got a good little theme to it. Um, The weird thing, the slightly jarring thing about it, it's got young actor Ricky Nelson in it, who's also a popular singer who is very elvish elvis not elvish (laughs) (laughs) that's a different genre altogether (laughs) um (laughs) no he's 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 clearly there as an elvis character and elvis was actually not a bad actor i wonder if they might have been better off getting him in uh for extra star appeal but ricky nelson plays this young buck who's kind of you know whiter than white character in terms of pure of spirit and you know upstanding and straight down the line and he doesn't want to get involved at first but when he when he does he sees the the importance of leaning on the side of right in the end and um he does so and he, he's in there and there's a couple of scenes with singing in it which maybe is a little bit jarring i'm not quite sure it was too polished um yeah. singing um uh, so there's a couple of bits it's it's got its flaws but all in all it's a it's a pretty good solid i would say a solid film and it's got John Wayne at his best, I think. Uh, it's got Walter Brennan at his best. And it's got Dean Martin, and I love a bit of Dean Martin. Um, so did, have you seen that? And what's I, I can't remember. So I've got a real issue with John Wayne. Um, <laughs> this is where it's going to get fun now. Well, so for watching this, I mean, obviously started doing this i started researching what are the classic westerns and what are the films that i need to see that i haven't seen before so i sat through the searches i sat through the man who shot liberty valance or valance anyway hmm. and i i can't get on with it you've got these you know he john wayne basically plays the same character in every single film he will hmm. be he'll have been on the trail for about six years sleeping in creeks and he'll still have a perfectly starched shirt and his shiny guns and he'll still be like quipping and happy and oh it's just i can't take yeah, it seriously it's watching it, rio bravo wife said isn't it amazing how many people have really well ironed shirts in westerns <laughs> it is uh, yeah i i tried really really hard i think there's a lot of john wayne films out there but i think there's part of me that's biased against them kind of politically but they yeah. I, and but trying to view them as of um of a certain age and a certain type and a certain genre i still can't really get on with them there's i can't get on with it at all fair um, enough i do think john wayne for me just to digress slightly john wayne is one of those range of actors who fall into a category where they are he has accused, no yeah i was gonna say he's <laughs> accused of just playing himself and other people that have been accused of that include Clint Eastwood, actually, another famous yeah. Western actor. Um, you could say definitely people like Bill Murray can be accused yeah. of that, I think. I mean, actors, and, I mean, like it's one of my favourite actors is Robert Shaw, and he basically plays Robert Shaw yeah. in every single film. But you still want to watch everything that he's in because he's just magnetic. And Bill Murray yeah. is very, very similar. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson. In fact, we could probably yeah. do a, a separate episode on this very subject yeah. at some point. Yes. And there's probably more more thinking to go into it. But I think that is true to some degree because I think their persona is such that they're not able to be that chameleon type actor, which other actors are. 
But I don't think that should take away from the fact they have got an amazing presence. They are very, very good actors. Um, and they, they got a lot huge... of people into the cinema for a long time, for the whole of yeah, the 50s and exactly. 60s. And, and Wayne really does have a presence. He is pretty much the epitome of the Western, isn't he? I think if you think about Westerns, one of the first things that comes into your head is John Wayne. Yeah. If you're thinking of, I'm told to say three, four, five things, quick fire, he's going to be one of those things on yeah, that list. Yeah, definitely. Um, up there with guns and horses and, <laughs> yes, you know, and maybe John Ford beans. as well, who of course seems, seems <laughs> to have directed a million, yeah, beans. John, John Ford, who's, who's made about, I don't know, about 8 million Westerns, doesn't it, it seems. Um, yeah, about, about so, 20 years ago, I actually visited the um, Grand Canyon and uh, I, we went, we had a sort of day out in the Monument Valley where a large number of these, his films were shot and all the road yeah. names are named after it. John Wayne, John Ford. Wow. This is John Ford Road, and he, he, I mean, it's, it's iconic landscape. You can see it, see it everywhere. Yeah, and, and there's a geographical issue as well. We should mention as well that there's quite a few times that films have been um, the, the settings don't add up to the narrative as well. Apparently, yeah. I don't know enough about it to know what's right or wrong in that. It's a little bit like um, Robin prince of thieves at um seven sisters or whatever it was or dover when he lands in england it's not quite the right place but um north american accent and the mullet but we're you know (laughs) it's got alan rickman so we'll let it off exactly (laughs) indeed but no i mean wayne does feature heavily in mine i have to say there's going to be a lot of disagreements on this one but i could i could easily have had unforgiven in there just as easily a very different film indeed yeah very much a revisionist western um but for me, Rio Bravo is a good, it's just a good typical feature of the, the, the top end of the genre, um, of was, that older classic. Yeah. Um, it was Unforgiven Clint's last Western. I can't, I think, it, I don't think he's done any since. Um, I think he's done, he might have done something oh, okay. that's kind of pseudo Western ish of some sort. I'm trying to think. I've got a vague recollection. It might be something on, I'm yeah. not sure. Um, or he might have directed something. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But in terms of acting, yeah, I don't remember him doing anything since. Um, this that's is um, obviously, yeah, it's the Clint Eastwood Unforgiven, not not the Unforgiven, which is the Audrey Hepburn, but Lancaster yes. uh, film from 30 years earlier. Um, there is, by the way, a remake of Unforgiven. I don't know if you know about that. No? It's an Asian, I think it's a Japanese remake. It's done kind okay. of, well, not shot for shot, but quite close to it. Um, in, in the same style, exactly the same, but with, with an Asian cast, which is quite surreal. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on. So I've, that's my number five. I've gone for Rio Bravo and I've revealed that Unforgiven hasn't quite made my five. So we now move over to you and your number five, Phil. And while I have so, my first sip of beer for the evening. <laughs> Cheers. So for my number five, I've gone pretty much uh, down the middle. What you would expect. I've gone for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Ah, yeah. which I'm sure everybody's seen. Uh, but for those that haven't, Butch, played by Paul Newman, and Sundance, played by young Robert Redford, are leaders of the Hole in the Wall gang, and after a train robbery goes wrong, they find themselves on the run with a posse hard on their heels. And uh, Catherine Ross plays Sundance's girlfriend, uh, Etta Place, who kind of joins them on the run. And, I mean, it's it's one of those films I remember from my childhood very, very, very much. And mm-hmm. I watched it again last week. And while, while it's a kind of strange, um, it's kind of a, it, it's a kind of autobiographical, it's kind of a biographical piece, but it doesn't actually really start until they're on the run. It doesn't really de- 
detail their earlier days. Like if they if they were to make this film now, it would start with them as teenagers and would have a very, very, very different tone to this film. Considering where this film finishes, it's surprisingly lighthearted and the chemistry between Paul Newman and Robert Redford, just the way they bicker and talk to each other back and forth. I mean, it's yeah. a beautiful um, script. Uh, William Goldman wrote it. He also did All the President's Men and Marathon Man and Princess Bride, etc. It's a, it's it's just, it's almost poetry. The way that they just argue backwards and forwards, it's, it's just wonderful. I absolutely it's one of the classic it. body movies, isn't it? Maybe one of the yeah, inventing. And, and you can see what, I mean, as, uh, so, I mean, George Roy Hill directed it. He then got them back together again and made The Sting, which is arguably even an even better film, going back to Robert Shaw, um, mm. because just the chemistry between the two of them is just it's just so effortless, isn't it? And they and they both look good, dressed as cowboys and walking <laughs> around. It, 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 it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to watch. Um, and it's got one of those sort of, really cool endings you know that would be the only time you get swearing on uh, tv in the afternoon in the 1980s was when they played this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a classic it's a classic ending we'll probably do one on classic endings at some point freeze frames all that yeah it's I, i'd say yeah it's an absolute it's an absolute classic and um I, yeah i love it it's a great film good choice and um, it's got raindrops keep falling on my head, of course. It's yeah, that's song. a bit annoying. That is, yeah. You know <laughs> I don't I'm, know I'm why saying. they did that. I mean, I think I don't. I think, I, I think that's the big flaw for me. Um, they I could have cut the bit out, that bit out. But yeah, yeah, because they're cycling around on a bike, which sort of doesn't quite feel right, and it's just a bit twee. I mean, it's Henry Mancini, isn't it? And I, yeah. I think it's is it all Burt Bacharach? One of the, I can't remember. But it's um, it's, it's basically. It, it, I think it jars as a, um, it doesn't feel like a Western uh, flavour at all. And when they, I mean, it came out in 1969, it was the highest grossing film that year, which hmm. sort of tells you that Westerns were still very, very much king of the box office, even yeah. so far as, far as 1969. So I think William Golden wrote the script and nobody was really that interested in it because in John Wayne films, he doesn't run away to Bolivia, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so, and the fact that they kind of went, oh, we can't take this, we're going to run away and move to Bol- Bolivia. Yeah. yeah, that, you know, it's, 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 sort of a, it's a kind of a different one and I think it's a bit more realistic than quite mm. a lot of the other, other Westerns that came before it. I mean, looking into the history of it a bit, they, it's kind of strange because they, they, a lot, if you look at a lot of the, the, the history of the lives of quite a lot of these gunslingers, you would be shocked at how young some of them are and how young they were when they died. I mean, they're like early twenties, most of them. And mm. I mean, the Butch and Sundance were real people that actually lived. They, this is true. They got chased. They moved to Bolivia. They then carried on robbing people in Bolivia for eight years. <laughs> mm. Wow! <laughs> Before they finally got caught, um, and the whole thing about outlaws, it's kind of it's celebrated, isn't it? It's yeah, celebrated a bit too much. I think <laughs> the bad guys are, are these romantic figures, aren't they? And, and even Bonnie and Clyde, which is not you can call it a western, but it kind of is, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's along the same sort of lines, um, albeit that's you know one from each gender in that case, but it's still got that buddy feel to it, hasn't it? Uh, criminals, outlaws on the run, yeah. And kind of they're lovable rogues, aren't they? A bit they kind of they're, they're playfully robbing banks. You know, it's all good yeah. fun. 
<laughs> and I think, I, I mean, I, I can't really think of much in the way of the kind of buddy movie which became ubiquitous in the 1980s. This is kind of one of the earliest examples of it that I can really, yeah. really, really think of. Yeah, I in mean, terms of, yeah, the out-and-out buddy movie, say say two guys in a scenario, I, I can't think of anything really, nothing that, nothing that sticks out. Proceeds not, it, yeah. Not, yeah, not not in those, not with that tone, anyway. Uh, but yeah, interesting choice. I and it also so. has something which makes it a top quality western. In that I didn't realise this before. Um, Sam Elliott is in the bar at the beginning playing a playing a cowboy. And if you want to make a western, you have to have Sam Elliott in it at some point with his magnificent <laughs> facial hair and his, and his accent he just looks the part and sounds the part more than anybody else yeah i think he still is living in the west isn't he somehow. <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's, he's, he's literally has a cameo at the beginning and he and he i think he was probably only about in his 20s or something at the time but he still looks he's still sam elliott <laughs> yeah a better cameo than rock hudson in winchester yes. 73 then yeah definitely <laughs> Um, quite an early role, actually, I would say. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting choice. And um, one thing, actually, I've, one, I've just remembered from mine, just to quickly flip back, um, the other flaw for me in my choice of Rio Bravo is the love affair between Angie Dickinson and John Wayne. Didn't quite feel like that no. worked very well, both in terms of it felt like they were too How far How much apart was the age difference between them? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, sure what it, I'm not sure what it was, but she was she was a newcomer to film yes. at the time put it that way he's and he probably was, only in his 60s <laughs> <laughs> and, i mean it's not even as if there's chemistry because you could have an age difference in chemistry but there wasn't sorry to, to pull it back to mind no, 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 no. Um, yeah. just coming back to the well, on the subject of chemistry i mean you can see as we said to see the chemistry between paul newman and uh, robert redford now robert redford was not the first the second the third he was the fourth choice actor for this so yeah. and I've looked at so uh, the original choice was Jack Lemon, which I just can't see. No, then I can't was, see that. Then it was Steve McQueen, hmm. and then it was Warren Beatty, and they all turned it down. Really? Yeah. Well, the the second and third choices, I can see where they're going with those, and they probably would have done a decent job. I don't know if it would have quite been. I don't think as you it said would have the had chemistry flowed have, backwards yeah. and forwards between mm. them. I yeah. think would have, I mean, and Steve McQueen would have demanded top billing and, if, and more lines in the script or or whatever else. Yeah, I don't know if if he'll pop up in a certain uh, western that is a candidate for top fives um, involving a a, a certain uh, figure of say around about seven people it may or may not feature um, but if it does we might hear more about steve mcqueen's antics um if not I'll, I'll mention it anyway later on um but yeah it's i think it's funny how many films are just at the fates you know serendipity um unexpected choices changes lack of availability suddenly circumstances yeah. changing that leads to a famous film having a different actors than the one it I find had. things like that far more fascinating than possibly I should so I've got a couple more of these coming out in some of the other films so that if you were to then look at them with a different cast it would be a yeah. very 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 different film um, exactly. just as, and uh, so what I didn't realize as well when I was a kid on TV one of the top shows on TV was uh, Alias Smith and Jones and apparently that was a spin-off of this which I didn't ever even knew and they did make a prequel Butch and Sundance the early years which is terrible and <laughs> Don't bother. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I think that was made mid-70s, yeah. Trying to cash, yeah. I think it was basically a cash-in. 
Fair enough. Okay, well, um, anything else on, on your number five choice that you wanted to add in? No, I think, yeah. Should we move on then to number four? Yeah, num- to number four. Right, this is when you're going to get really irritated. Number four, <laughs> The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> um, no, 1962 film. Um, I'll John be honest, Ford. I did make it the whole way through. I gave up halfway through. I thought I couldn't take ah, it. Ah, right, okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a couple of hours long. As you said, typically they're not that short. It's a 1962 film. It's John Ford, um, the seminal director. I had to have him in somewhere. So he is. I mean, he knows how to put put a scene together. And you, I mean, you can see the way that you know Kurosawa lists him as an influence in a lot of his samurai films. Something we might well be talking about. Um, Is (laughs) you can see that. You know, he 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 knows how to use his his landscapes and make it kind of almost as a character in the story. You know, yeah, exactly. And it is it is very well shot. It's very well put together, as you said. He knows how to shoot a scene. The screenplay by James Warner Villa and uh, Wills Goldrick, I guess uh, Goldbeck, um, adapted from a short story. Um, was yeah, nineteen sixty two. It's effectively it is a a story which in itself is almost revisionary in a way in its own right, because it comes after a lot of other famous Westerns. It's following a similar overall narrative. You've got some of the things you've listed in that initial archetypes list. You know, you've got a guy who's robbed on the road. So you've got the Wild West um, outlaw figures rob him. He's a guy who's trying to be masculine. He's trying to stand up for himself and for others on the stage that's been robbed at the beginning of the story. But then, you know, he's a lawman, as in he's a lawyer, not a, not a, yes. not a sheriff. So he's he's the other side of the law. And that's the interesting way that this story kicks in. It, it takes, right, what about the other side of the law, the person that's the administrator, who's, who's the man who's actually trying to do things by the book and form a forward narrative for the, the way forward for the Wild West. I mean, it actually starts not with that scene, but with the scene before it, where as an older man, James Stewart, who's the lead character, um, comes into town. He's Senator Stoddard. He's with a woman, presumably his wife, and uh, another companion who's who's there with him as a psychic guy. And he's clearly he knows this town. His missus seems to know it better, and they've come into town for a reason that isn't very clear. Newspaper men are hawking around wondering what's going on. As as the story unfolds, you get to find out that somebody has died, a character played by John Wayne. Uh, it's not a plot spoiler because that's at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And it's about what uh, the story then goes on to tell how that came to be the case and what, what went on before. But it's, it's all about the way storytelling is told. It's about the myths of the West. It's about good versus evil. It's about... Um, definitely about masculinity because James yeah. Stewart's a man who's who's not yellow-bellied, as they say, but he's also he's not a gunslinger. He's, he's not, not a typical bar he- hero, is yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. It's good casting; it fits him perfectly. And you know, he's an upstanding gentleman of the West. That's basically yeah. him. But he has some challenges put before him by initially being robbed, and then by what's what then goes on from there. How his character is formed. It's it's about the myth of who does what? The, the, yeah, the, the title tells you there's a mystery of sorts there. Yeah. The man who shot Liberty Valance. It's actually could be it could be titled Who Shot Liberty Valance? Yes. Um, because that is the question that's posed during the story. John Wayne obviously featuring as a as a gunslinger. There's other characters besides. Um, there's a number of characters in the in the plot, 
who are all trying to help James Stewart. And there's some adjutants, of course, as well. And it, it just tells the story. Liberty Valance is the, is the guy who has robbed him at the beginning. Uh, so he's a troublemaker, basically. And the way this, I won't, I won't go on with the story yeah. anymore because I'd recommend seeing it. And I, I think okay. I probably should have made more of an effort. I did yeah. start it having as the third Western of the evening, having watched a couple before. Oh, yeah. I was running out of energy. To and be fair, I, that, I, that's not a good time to watch that no. film, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's quite a slowish film. And I was just thinking, I've seen this before. I'm sure I have. (laughs) This is offering me nothing new. Mm. I mean, visually, it looks typical West. It's it's John Ford, yeah. Yeah, it's John Ford. It's one of his his black and whites, later black and whites, 62. But it it does tell, um, it it does cover multifaceted elements of the Western narrative. And I think it covers all of them in a really good, solid, intelligent, interesting way, which makes it way above average as a Western and as I said, coming at the time when it does, when most of the, the classics of their time have gone before, or a large number of them anyway, it, it feeds into all that's gone before. It, it plays around with those myths and it plays around with those narrative techniques, the storytelling, the traditions of the West, and about what it is to be a man in the Wild West of that time. And it's got really good actors. I do think John Wayne's an excellent actor. Yes, his range is limited, but what he does do, he does, he does really, do, he really does well. He does do very, very yeah. well, yeah. He's, he's a really strong presence. Stewart's really good. It's also got actually a nod to... To be sure, it's always fantastic and always watchable in everything, though, Absolutely. isn't he? He's always 100%. And we've got him yeah. down on uh, for a golden seagull, haven't we, for uh, oh, Hitchcock performances already. Yes. More on that later on. But um, the other thing is, you've uh, a nod to um, Woody Strode as well, who's a... Uh, African-American actor who is a great figure, actually. He's interesting. He's always another one of these sidemen characters. He plays side roles. He's never really been in lead roles, but he often pops up in Westerns uh, just playing an ordinary black guy. So it hasn't tended to be about, uh, should we say, controversial or complicated issues. He's literally just there as a member of the cast. So in a way, it's quite atypical of the time that he's just just playing a role and it's good and he's a very good actor and he plays in this film um obviously because of the flashback he plays two different eras of the same character so he has to he has to kind of age up for the uh for the later part story of the narrative but he's he's a really good solid actor in it and all of the little peripheral roles are are filled with really good solid actors so the plots the um the characterization the acting um just the composition of the shots, as you said, Ford's a great director. All of that is there. And I think it's just a very good, another typical um, yeah, proper Western classic. Yeah. So th- those two I picked so far are probably the most. I, I will give it another go. Not in the next six months, because I've had enough of Westerns. <laughs> Much I like talking about. But, but yeah, towards the end of the year, I will give it another go. Because yeah, uh, you, you, you've uh, you've kind of taught me into it now, and yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm not much more to say on that. I think there's a couple of um, tidbits of information, but I don't know if there's anything of any particular note. So I'll, I'll leave that one there and um, turn it over to you for your number four. Oh, you're going to hate this. <laughs> I, I I couldn't help myself. Go on. What is it? Number four. <laughs> Blazing Saddles. I knew that was going to be in there. <laughs> I've, I've got how could we two. not? 
How could we yeah, not put it one, in? So it's two one of my. Two. I mean, it's it's probably it's one of my kind of favourite comedies ever. I love Mel Brooks. Um, not his latter output, but in his sixties and seventies when he was doing general satire brilliantly. He's. Hmm. I mean, it, it's just it's just wonderful. So, in case you, you have far jokes, don't you? Oh yes. I'll get on to that. So. Um, a town is in the uh, way of a railroad, obviously, one of these uh, things that we've been talking about. And in order to ruin the town, a corrupt politician uh, appoints uh, Cleveland Little, Bart, a black sheriff. And he then proves to mm. be quite the formidable adversary. And it's all about how he goes back into the town. And I mean... <laughs> One of the one of the criticisms about this film that it, when it came out was it doesn't really have a proper narrative. It's a load of sketches stuck together, mm. all of which make you laugh. And a lot of people seem to have an issue with that. But when you think about it, I, I mean, most of my favourite comedy films are a load of sketches bolted together. Spinal Tap, Monty Python, even Bora, yeah. you know, uh, Airplane. There's not really a proper story. It's just an excuse to just take take the Mickey out of something and send up all your normal tropes and just make a load of jokes out of it. And in this, it just works absolutely perfectly. Mel Brooks is just fantastic. So what I I mean, much as I absolutely loved Cleveland Little in this, and he was fantastic, fantastic. Um, my, this this the, the um, when it was kind of it was scripted it was pretty much written mostly by Mel Brooks with Richard Pryor with Richard Pryor down to become the uh, the uh, the black sheriff and he you know wrote a lot of the, the dialogue and wrote a lot of the jokes and everything and then because of his uh, his drug history um, he was uninsurable and the studio basically said you're not having him and which is a real shame because. That yeah. would have been the first time we'd have seen Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor together uh, on screen. Yeah, yeah. They went on to make, you know, a couple of genuinely amusing films. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on to uh, Gene Wilder, who plays the Waco Kid. That role was originally offered to John Wayne. No, seriously? Yeah. And he turned it down because it was too blue for his family orientated image. <laughs> so they then cast Gig Young, who turned up, and on the first day he passed out in a in a stupor because he was an alcoholic and he was trying to go cold turkey. Hmm. And they literally had That's to Dean fly again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and they had to fly Gene Wilder in as kind of like, oh well, he's available, just get him in. And Gene Wilder in this is absolutely, absolutely, well, he's brilliant in everything. But he, in the, I mean, this is probably my favourite performance by him. Yeah, he's in Bonnie and Clyde, of course, as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, yeah. It's it's a load of stupid jokes, and some of them don't land, and a lot of them are very dated, uh, and a lot of them will make you laugh far, far more than they should. So the campfire scene, which we spoke about earlier, I mean, that caused the studio a load of problems. They really were tried to turn down a lot of the the the, 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 the the classic scenes in that. I think the studio said you can't do that. But Mel Brooks, rather cleverly, had when he'd had the contract put together, he had total control over everything that went in. So it stayed. And, I mean, that's one of the first laughs of the cinema in my childhood is watching, watching that, <laughs> the campfire scene where... 
just the campfires all sitting eating beans and they just fart and it just goes around in a circle. I mean, it's just such a basic crude joke that shouldn't be that funny, but I defy anybody to watch it and not have tears running down their cheeks. It's just... Yeah, well, I mean, fart jokes and slapstick always get people, don't they? I, I'm a massive fan Particularly of me. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that kind of is in the same category, isn't it, in a way? It's, I suppose audio slapstick, you could call it, yeah. of sorts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there was no way I was going to put this in my top five because no. it just doesn't feel like it should. But be. I, I mean, but if, it I is. Mean, it is very funny, and um, it, it doesn't feel like it should be in the top five. But if I were to, if I had to choose to watch any of these films again, yeah. this would probably be the film that I'd choose because I could genuinely watch it over and over and over again. Um, yeah. It's hilarious. I mean, the musical numbers are just ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> They're just mad. And you think, how could you get away with some of these things? I mean, it is very a very funny film. I do. I agree with you about Mel Brooks all the way through in terms of this. This amongst other really really good films of his, yeah. the latest Producers stuff is not so good. Going to be my favourite. Producers is up to Spaceballs. Spaceballs, I think, yeah. was the last film that he, that was yeah. genuinely amusing. Yeah. And after yeah. that, he became a bit of a caricature of himself. Yeah. But... I I just yeah. I mean, I, I didn't put it in mine. In my selections, it's a, a plot spoiler. It doesn't feature higher up my list, um, <laughs> but, it, but it, um, that's only because I think it just needed to be more of a seminal classic in terms of the quality and detail beyond yes. the, the the comedy. So it just didn't feel right. However, I have to say, since we've been working on well researching this, which for me in earnest is the last couple of weeks, I've had the Blazing Saddles song going round in my head constantly. The Blazing, the blazing Saddles. <laughs> yeah, I've been singing that quite a bit. Well, Mel Brooks wrote most of the songs, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Always, yeah. The, the like he does in a lot of his films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean hopefully at some point we could talk about the producers and Springtime yeah, I mean, for Hitler. Yeah, it, that's one of the greatest film songs of all time. It's absolutely brilliant. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's a great film. And so, um, yeah, again, a black role. We're just talking about Woody Stroh. Yeah. There, there you go, with a, a major role for a black actor. Um, kind of get against the grain, obviously, in terms of yeah. not just the casting, but they, well, just to have that character in that role. They, they, I mean, he played, he played Black Bart. <laughs> um, yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 1974. Um, and mm. they actually made a pilot episode of a TV series of this but uh it obviously don't never went into production i'm not quite sure if there were enough jokes left after this within the western genre yeah probably not used them all up apparently when 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 brooks made it he sat down with all of the uh all of the execs and uh and and screened it to them said here's my film and there's not a single laugh the whole time they all just watched wow. it in complete and utter silence and the head of ju- distribution at the time said let's just let's just not bother putting it out and make a loss on it i'm not like we can't market this um the studio president uh insisted he said well just put it on in a few cities and see how we how it goes and it was their top earner of the summer yeah so well, it, just, one of, it just goes to show doesn't it and and this happens so many times people fiddle around with films they try and recut them and it just goes stuff. to show you, yeah. you just yeah you just can't you can't know how different fates might have might have left things differently but yeah. um yeah i mean delicate flowers sometimes aren't they classics they yeah. could have but but for a, a change of philosophy by one person sitting in that room it could have uh with a forceful um demanding 
insistence yeah. on on changes it could have been just not existing in its current form yeah. and if you haven't seen it and do watch it please remember it is very much a product of its time it's coming mm. out 50 years old in a couple of years um and it is yeah. quite dated in quite a lot of its views and uh yeah uh, but it's funny yeah. <laughs> and, yeah i mean that that's right i mean the, the westerns tend to i mean where they deal with it at all it tends to be unfavorable to put it mildly yes. the depictions of of anybody of ethnic origin whatever the, the origin it might be obviously red indians as they were called yes. i-n-j-u-n indians yes. <laughs> um is, is predominant amongst them chinese people i, I remember seeing Hundreds of westerns. It felt like I did as growing up, but I don't remember until a lot later on seeing anything that depicted the Chinese contribution oh. to the Wild West, um, which oh, of course was railroad. Was massive, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing how little that was portrayed. You would have thought derogatory that they might have made it. That you would have thought they would have depicted it in some form or other. Yeah. Um, but um, very little has been seen on screen of that. Actually, it's it's probably one of the most underrepresented um, underrepresentative factors, isn't it? On cinema, yeah. I think of any, yeah. But yeah, good, good choice. It's good fun. Just on the comedy, the comedy western front. Just one quick thing as well. Cat Baloo, have you ever seen that? I haven't. Is is it? Isn't it a musical? It is. Yeah, as well. I have it's, a problem with musicals. Oh, it's God, a comedy musical western. Yeah, well, you could you could say Blazing Saddles. I'm not. Blazing yeah, I mean Saddles, Blazing Saddles is, is quite yeah. is, is is almost a musical yeah. as well. I've got to be honest. Yeah, but it it does have some very funny scenes in it. Actually. Yeah. So, oh my God. Uh, particularly Lee list. Marvin drunk on a horse, which is just, uh, just <laughs> super. No acting <laughs> he's was falling required. off this horse. <laughs> no, probably not. No. But he's, he's hanging off the horse. It's, it's absolutely superb. Anyway, yeah, so that's your number four. And four. I think um, a good choice. Yeah. So we'll probably take our half time break there, I think, Phil, yeah. and we can re- refill okay. our glasses and so on. Yeah. Um, just before we do, just to mention as well, as, as we did off air beforehand, speaking of. Um, problematic representation as one might call it um, I am wearing my Tintin uh, in America t-shirt um, just uh, to get in, the, get in the mood for westerns there's Tintin with a, t- a 10 gallon hat on or whatever it is um, that's another one isn't it the early Hergé stuff not yeah. great from Congo. point of view <laughs> yeah yeah they're cringing brilliant stuff growing up as a kid again it was another thing from my childhood yeah. growing up was Tintin I loved it I still love books but I, I have to try and avoid <laughs> reading the early ones however I think the first one I read was Tintin in America um, yeah. even though I didn't really think of it as a western in that way um, even though that's pretty much what it was but, uh, it was well, that- it was kind of oil oil era wasn't it the oil discovery era I want to know what happened to the Tintin films they were supposed to be making. So Steven Spielberg did one, and then Peter Jackson was supposed to do one. Somebody else was supposed to do one, and yeah. years have gone past. I mean, never seen any other ones. I quite enjoyed that first one. I mean, it had its faults, but yeah, I thought I it mean, was quite good in terms of a kind of like you know Indiana Jones type action adventure. There's not enough of those films out there, so yeah, hopefully they'll yeah. get around to making the second one at some point. I thought this, the very same thing, putting this T-shirt on earlier today, actually. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the first one. I thought it was a decent yeah. decent effort. We'll see. Okay, right. Well, in part two, then, we will go through our threes down to ones and some other bits besides. Stay tuned.
Right, we've had our fried beans, haven't we, Phil? <laughs> I'm drinking a nice glass of Sauvignon Blanc, so yeah, we're very, very right. Well so you're done. not chewing grit and spitting on the dirt path of the uh, the local town, are you? Uh, not at the moment, no. A, a town called Fatality or something. <laughs> <laughs> Population oh, 37, yeah. And then someone's just crossing it out while you're yeah. talking, yeah. That's amazing. 36. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've we've come we've got our top fives down to the top three. Just to quickly recap for anyone that wasn't paying attention or fell asleep, which I wouldn't blame you for. I went for Rio Bravo by a short head at number five ahead of Unforgiven, and the man who shot Liberty Valance at number four. You, Phil, went for. I went for number five. I went for Butch and Sundance, and then for number four, I went for Blazing Saddles. Marvelous! You're all seeing. It gets the a bit Saddles more serious now. from here in. <laughs> I think it I does. Couldn't help myself. And I, and I am, in case you didn't hear it earlier, I am currently on a two out of two prediction ratio success rate on Phil's top five. <laughs> I've got no idea. Not. I wouldn't have got any of yours so far. So, yes. <laughs> you might get some of these now. We'll see. They might yeah. be the same. We'll, we'll find out. As we move into number three, this, right, the top three, this is where I was in the same predicament as I was in take one, our first episode on the Hitchcock subject. Three films for me, you could you could put in any order. Um, that's the way I see it. Um, two of them are quite similar. One isn't. And um, my, my top gonna... three, two of them are quite similar, and one isn't. And uh, uh, but, yeah, we will see. Oh, could this be? Could oh, this please be a match? don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my similar ones is at number three. Um, and we're talking absolutely. It's going into a different stratosphere for me from this point. Yeah. Um, Same here. Once, once upon a time in the West, Sergio yeah, Leone. My third two. <laughs> oh, perfect. There we go. Right. Okay. Yeah. I know. I know where the difference is going to be. By the way, on, on one of the two. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Number three. We've both got um, once upon a time in the West. We're we're talking here, Sergio Leone, spaghetti oh, westerns. This could go on for which, hours. Now, shall I, shall I start? I'll try you... not to waffle. Shall I do a quick synopsis and then you start yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yep. So, um, a mysterious stranger with a harmonica, played by Charles Bronson, joins forces with a notorious desperado, played by Jason Robards, to protect a widow, the absolutely gorgeous Claudia Cardinal, from a ruthless assassin, Henry Fonda, working for a railway railroad boss, Gabrielle Fazetti. Hmm. Lots of eyeshadow, 70s style, isn't it, for Claudia there? But um, I'm, I'm going to forgive that one. <laughs> why, why, why was she never a Bond girl? I don't understand. That's a good shout, actually. Yeah. Can't, she, More she, to the she, point, she... it wasn't a good shout by the Bond producers because she should have been. She's perfect. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I know she, at a certain point she tried to kind of stay away from certain things and go into other certain other directions. Yeah, true, true. She, she, she should have been on that list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this film for me is just sublime for me we talked about westerns growing up your dad makes you say makes you it makes it sound like you don't want to but you'd sit you down with with westerns on a saturday afternoon or whatever it was sundays whenever and for me there's two phases with westerns if you don't count the the new wave stuff one is is what we've just said the other one 50s yeah john wayne yeah yeah all american and the the other one is the is the phase which includes this and I suspect another film in our top three, um, which is Friday night, Saturday night, 
probably films you might have seen for the first time. If it's anything like my parents were very sociable, they'd have dinner parties and social events going on on Saturday, either at home or elsewhere. And if it was at home, they'd be in the other room and entertaining and I'd be left in the lounge on my own. My sisters were living away. I was, I don't know what age I was, 13 or whatever. And sitting there watching things like Spaghetti, spaghetti westerns, westerns. Yeah. they were the, they it, were the 60s weren't they yeah i mean it was bruce lee films it was spaghetti westerns it was only fools and horses and the two ronnies it was match of the day those were the kind of things i was watching on saturday night and this was amongst them it, it, it was not only has it got the nostalgic pull for me as those classics that i've mentioned already have but um i mean the, the old old classics but it's also it's just got so much you can taste the West in these films. That's the well, difference. Mean, when you look at, as I was talking earlier, I mean, you, you alluded to uh, iron shirts in Westerns and they all look... Mm. Everybody in a Sergio Leone film is sweaty and horrible. and You can just see all the beads of sweat. They look like they've been in a stupor for three days and slept in a creek yeah. for a week. I mean... I, I was talking about Rio Bravo and Dean Martin is exactly that in Rio Bravo, but that's because he's coming down from excessive alcohol. And yeah. that's the only reason he's sweaty. The other characters are not sweaty. Here, they're sweaty because it's really hot in the far yes. west. <laughs> and well, because... mo- most of these films were filmed in Almeria in Spain. I've been to Almeria in Spain and um, it's the hottest and driest pipe place in all of Europe. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Good choice of place to film it. Eh? Yeah. The rest of Spain is so I've wet. Been to the, um, you can actually go and visit the sets now. I've been to one of them. I can't remember which films were made there and walk around and they still look exactly the same. I, th- I think I do need to do that as a holiday at some point, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the weird thing, isn't it? They were called Spaghetti Westerns. You've got, um, obviously, you've got um, you've got the Dollars Trilogy, and yeah. then you've got Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, which we're talking about they now. They call it and the Once Upon a Time like... Trilogy. I didn't realise this until I started doing some research. So the Once Upon a Time Trilogy, which is Once Upon a Time in the West, followed by, it's either called A Fistful of Dollars or Duck You Sucker, depending on where you where what part of the world you're in and then finishing oh, yeah. up with once upon a time in america apparently that's his second trilogy yeah we're talking about sergio leone who we haven't oh, yeah, really yeah, spoken yeah. about yet we haven't i really thought for a minute there was a western well. trilogy i was going to go no, no, no. now i know what you're saying yeah yeah that's that's right and his films i mean it's a curiosity sergio leone obviously is is an italian born and bred he made the films i assumed in italy because of the name spaghetti western um but as you said, they're actually filmed predominantly in Spain. I think all the interiors were filmed in Rome in, I can't remember how to pronounce it. Oh, Cinecitta. 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 Excuse yeah, me. And then yeah. Spain, I think, with most, most yeah. of the exteriors. And it might have been, might have been the production money or something behind the scenes then. Um, by the way, at this point, I'll just throw in a little bit of tidbit of information. My missus is Japanese and she reliably informs me that in Japan, they are known as macaroni westerns. <laughs> Really? so you know same thing oh okay but, uh, yeah yeah which is interesting um but yeah i mean they're, they're brilliant they're, they're all about close-ups particularly on eyes which is the thing that martin scorsese loves those close-up michael powell i mean they Burger, they have been so. mocked a bit since uh, yeah. but you get the you get the close-up of the eyes of the faces or the the holsters and the hands and yeah that's right twitching he, fingers and his films have his nose, very very long extended mm. shots and takes they can be quite slow his films but they're very panoramic i mean 
Yeah. They're, be- they're beautiful to watch. He builds the tension. It's um, oh yeah. Uh, we've got to we've got to talk about the music. Ennio Morricone, oh. the late late great who died late last year. Tragic, tragic to lose him. Yeah. What one of my favourite ever composers. I won't say if he is my favourite of all time because that might be a nut subject of another future episode. Yes. Who knows? But um, but he's up there with the very very best. And once upon a think- time in the West, I think is his second best ever uh, score. I would say. And yeah. his best ever score that we may or may not be talking about later, I'd say it's probably the best score in the history of cinema, but we'll, we may yeah. or may not be getting onto that later. I think we might, but so uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this it's, it's been described as a masterpiece um, in terms of the music. Um, operatic is a word that I thought of myself and I've heard other people say on documentaries since. Um it, it really is. It does have because you've got the singing, the whole scale of it. It just creates a sense of. I think Leone used magnitude. to involve Morricone in, in the films a lot more than a lot of directors do. So he would have the. Mm. I mean, for the I think for the first two in the uh, Dollars trilogy, Fistful of Dollars, and for a few dollars more, I think he kind of scored them as per usual. By the time they get right, this is this is the fourth of uh, Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns. The third being a bit the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. By the time he got round to the third one, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, he was very much of he would get involved in the characters and he would write specific motifs and themes for each character, mm. and he would be involved in a lot of the music and how it would how it would fit in and and how how the characters would be introduced and all kind of that yeah. kind of thing yeah and that that sense of scale opera is all about scale yeah. isn't it it's about large brash expanse of noise of sound of projection and that's pretty much what the narrative is as well it kind of those as you said those long lingering shots on those characters the showdown at the rail station for example or well, not even a station well, yeah, really. the beginning but, um, the beginning of the showdown the beginning of this film actually has no has no music for the first 15 minutes it's just yeah but that, that all fits into the same film of this drawn out blown up it, it's exaggerated but in a good way in a really yeah. good way all and the way through said, the film the first very... piece of music you hear is when you have the introduction of harmonica played by charles bronson you hear that really haunting theme that, yeah. that keeps well, yeah, recurring you, you, all the way during the film you mentioned motifs late lead, lead motifs i think it's pronounced um is the yeah. is the word for it and the brilliant thing with morricone here is he's got the lead character for good if you want to call him that the bronson character is is literally playing his own musical um, theme which is normally yeah. a thing that's done non-diegetically here yes. it's actually diegetic and in fact it's you know it, it's um initiated by that character which is just a brilliant touch yeah. there's and a scene in the in that tiny little claustrophobic it's, well, it's not even a, a it's a shack isn't it basically yeah, yeah. where he's in and he's sitting in the corner unseen the characters come in, then he plays the music, and then it yeah, cuts to him. You can just see him in the shadow in the yeah, corner. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's, it, it's a new play on the whole, on all the old conventions, isn't it? Of there's a guy, he's got to shoot three blokes. How's he going to do it? It's kind of, it's got that whole thing of it. And he, but he'll draw it out. He's sitting there, he's playing the music, they're staring at each other. That's all played out over a long period. You, you, you were left, it's deliberately played, isn't it? For, almost for kicks that they'll just yeah they'll just draw this out as much as possible and get away with it completely because it's 
it just carries it off perfectly. It's, it's yeah. superb. Um, it's got um, so many other good features. It's got Henry Fonda as a bad guy. This is one of the yeah. one. Of, this is one of the taboos. He don't even play goodies before. Yeah, he? you you can't do bad guys. You can't get Henry Fonda oh, no. in a black hat in a in a western. The, sto- the story. It. I mean, Henry Fonda. The story is that he was Sergio Leone's favorite actor ever. Yeah, and he oh, tried to get actor, hold of yeah. him before and hadn't been able to, probably mainly due to budget constraints. Um, and mm, then after yeah. he'd made his three westerns, um, Leone, he uh, retired from westerns and said, "I've done. I'm, I've had enough." And obviously, they made a lot of money. Um, mm. His original three westerns, the Dollars Trilogy, were all re- all released in the same year in America, and so they made a great deal of money. And they wow. were like, "Well." We need to we need to get some more out of him. So they but when they he said I've had enough westerns. So I want to start working on my gangster film. Um, and he was offered the Godfather. He said no, I've got my own gangster film that I want to be working on. He spent fifteen bloody years working on it before he finally <laughs> finally came out. But <laughs> when they turned around and said we're going to give you a bit more money and we're going to get you Henry Fonda, then uh, I think that yeah. was that was kind of what brought him back in. And I don't think Henry Fonda was originally very interested in doing it he didn't want to mm. play a baddie i think eli wallach one of the actors from good the bad and the ugly uh said you've got to do it you've got to work with this guy you'll have a blast you'll, you'll, you'll love it i mean i think some of the best roles that have been played by actors have come where they've been cast against type we talked about mm. james stewart in his darker roles um but this really is dark uh, henry fonda I mean, talk about, you know, finally going to the dark side and he's gone there with extra anchovies, hasn't he? Because yeah. that, that is, uh, you know, he's a proper sweaty, angular-faced kind and of... The, and the in brackets, down. goody, Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not really that good, is he? I know, he's I know not very good you at a, all. You had a curt smile on your face when I said something along those lines earlier. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's the best of a bad bunch, you could say, <laughs> or something like that. But... So many great scenes. They're classic scenes. There's that thing with the insect on the nose, the bulbous nose yeah, of one the of the fly. Bad guys. Yeah. You know, which apparently was just one of those random things that actually happened. And they just yes. they managed to improvise, keep it going, keep the camera rolling, and they got a classic scene. Um, there are a number of classic scenes in this film. I don't know if you'd want to elaborate more, Phil. So I, I won't go into too many details because oh, yeah. we'll be here all night. But the, the, it's just got so much going for it, this film. You, you come away smiling. The, the singing on the on the operatic soundtrack, yeah, it's it's almost ridiculously over the top, and yet it sort of it isn't, is it? Perfectly. You think no, it actually works, yeah, and it's audacious. It's it's got flourishes. It's got it's got um it's got verve. It's got arrogance. It's got yeah. everything you want to to really push the boundaries and make a brilliant western. And I absolutely yeah. love this film. The one thing I'd say for it is I haven't seen it in research for this. I didn't didn't need to because I can remember it well, yeah. but I haven't actually seen it for a long time. I'm assuming you did. Watch I watched it, it last you? weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it stands the test of time. Oh yeah. So I mean, one of the things I find quite interesting is so they basically got Sergio Leone to direct another western, and then he was kind of given carte blanche to make a western, but they they didn't really kind of say what sort of western they wanted. And so he went away with two two other directors to work on the story. Um, and I, I didn't realise this. So the, the story for this film was 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 all kind of planned out and written. So 
written by sitting down and watching loads and loads and loads of other westerns um three directors sat sat three italian directors got together watched loads of westerns and then plotted the story out and they paid lots of kind of um cameos and influences and they there's sort of lots of easter eggs alluding to other westerns within within it and the other two italian directors who were involved in this were um, bernardo bertolucci and dario argento which i didn't actually realize who you obviously know for a lot of lot of different very very different i mean you wouldn't associate either of them yeah. with, with with westerns no, not at, all. at all. Not at all in fact i didn't know any of anything about that at all yeah it's interesting and the other other kind of interesting thing about this film is in his original dollars trilogy the characters there's no progression the same the, the, the good the i mean this yes they are morally great characters but their kind of motivations and who they are stays the same all the way during the film whereas this one you actually see the characters kind of grow and develop a little bit during the course of the film which is kind of a a new thing which he then mm. went into a bit more in, in some of his later films well i yeah. say later films unfortunately sergio leone only, only ever made seven films one mm. the first one i've never seen apparently it was some about the Colossus of Rhodes. I've never seen it. Apparently it's no. mediocre. He then did five, we- five Westerns and then were well, gangster film, all classics, and then dropped dead of a heart attack age 60 while he was prepping mm. and, uh, sort of several other films, which would have been fascinating to have seen. And the he other, was... the other Western being, is that Fistful of Dynamite, isn't it? Yeah, it's called Fistful of Dynamite or um, mm. uh, a, a, a um, Duck You Sucker. Careful how I say that. <laughs> and <laughs> you, would, you would have noticed lot, lot, lots of um, Tarantino-influenced um, stuff, wouldn't you, recently? Because he, he loves this stuff. The titles, oh, yeah. by the way, that was one of the things yeah. that I think most attracted me as a younger lad watching these for the first time, is those sharp red yeah, Western typeset kind of print in big letters on the screen. Yeah. It's so exciting. Uh, you saw a little bit of that with things like the TV series Bonanza and things like that. But this was just so much more audacious. Boom, it was right there. Yeah. Stark red red characters. And what was the film? Was it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Or was it Once Upon a Time in the West? Where they've got this scene where the title of the film appears in the op- in the closing scene. And it kind of spirals round on the screen in front of the, in front of the action. I think I remember that. Yeah, I saw a clip of it um, on a I've documentary. I've watched both of them over the last couple of weeks. There's so yeah, many different it's... cuts of these films. Um, yeah, that's true. I think so, this is Once Upon a Time in the West I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, so actually. in Once yeah. Upon a Time in the West, um, there was a 166-minute cut that he, he handed in, and that's what went out in Europe, and it, it was a box office smash. And the Americans were like, you can't release a film that's almost three hours long so they knocked 20 odd minutes out of it they dropped the, the scene we were talking about earlier in the kind of the shack uh the shop yeah. that just got deleted various other bits got shortened and deleted and they 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 knocked a lot loads out of it which is one of the things that that yeah there's made. a lot of issues with and the dubbing isn't bombed. there and the the, the voiceovers well, yeah there. I remember so, as a kid that some of that was really odd so, so i mean it's the same for all the leone films so mm. He was interested in spectacle and picture. He didn't speak very much English at all. Mm. And it was a weird situation, whereas your leads would be American actors and all of the rest of the characters would be Italians. 
And so the Italians would speak in Italian and would then be dubbed by American actors, in some cases, not very well, um, afterwards. And the American characters would speak in English and then they'd be dubbed by Italian actors in Italy. Yeah. And he wasn't really worried so much about the dubbing. He was worried about he wanted to put his picture up on, on, on you know, yeah. on it and be able to see the beauty of which, which you could or, say does make it a flawed masterpiece. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, all know, of his films. And that's have, perfect. All of his, I mean, once upon a time in America aside, all of his films have that, have that issue. It's something yeah. that you just have to kind of live with, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, um, a film of incredible power. I mean, yeah, there's Endurance. long, very slow takes, and then sudden bursts of violence, and then more long, slow takes. The tension builds up. You know, it's yeah. you can. I mean, the exaggeration it. it just it just filters into everything, doesn't it? Even the gunshots. You know, the mm. the classic, and there's that echoey, yeah. like, ongoing sound of the gunshot. It's even that seems to be heightened more than ever in this film, doesn't yeah. it? And and. It, it's an interesting idea as well, the, the notion that there's an Italian who's had his take on the Western genre. And yeah. here we are talking about this and maybe another film in our top top three. Yeah. Of all the films that have been made, as you said, the history of cinema goes hand in hand right through to the 60s, at least, with um, the history of what well, the history of cinema and the history of the West goes together. And, and yet here we are talking about an Italian born and bred guy yeah. who makes a Western and boom, there it is, number three. And for both nails of it. I mean, whenever yeah. you look at any of the the best film ever kind of lists, this is yeah. quite often the highest western mm. on them. I think. I think immigrants, apart from the fact that they they add something to the culture wherever they go, and whether people like it or not, they are always going to be there. They're always going to change. Um, they're going to evolve the nation they move to to some degree. Another example is Kazuo Ishiguro, the author, who wrote the book yeah. Remains of the Day about the stiffness of the British psyche uh, yes. of a butler, who not only is British, but he's our butler. He's got to be very proper. And that has never been depicted better, in my opinion, no, ever no. than by this guy who is Japanese born, yeah. albeit he spent quite a bit of his time in England before he wrote the book. Um but, you know, I think the outsider's view maybe gives you almost more of a tangible, visceral yeah. feel for that very thing that you're talking about. So in this case, with Leone and the Western, maybe he can see that extra bit more because he's not he's not too caught up in the myths from close range. He can look at it from afar and get a different picture and draw other elements in. And I think, as you said, if, if you enrich a culture by bringing something else to the party, Maybe that's what's happened here. I don't know. The music yeah. definitely does that for me. And, and uh, yeah, one of the other things I, I kind of think is there is a very real change in cinema, literally from the sixties to the seventies. The sixties is kind of a much more positive, um, happy cinema entertainment, and once you get into the to the 70s you start getting films like the godfather conversation dog day afternoon apocalypse now etc etc i don't know if you'd have got those films without spaghetti westerns because mm. he does or, change he, the landscape doesn't he yeah in terms of mm. getting really good actors to play 
difficult part. He, sh- he sharpens it up. And I, I mean, almost my countdown on my five is almost, almost is, is typical of how the Western develops. You've, you've, you're looking here, Rio Bravo, Manu Shot, Liberty Valance, not, not in the right chronological order, but those two are classical Westerns. Then we're talking about a top three that includes this and maybe another Sergio Leone film, maybe not. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting into edgier stuff, the gritty, the sweaty, yeah. the, you know, and that definitely transformed that. That was what started definitely for me. It was what, what, what year was it? 1968? Was it? Something like that? Yeah. It's where yeah. you can finally start showing bad characters yeah. getting away with it. Yeah. And it's just before Dirty Harry and it's just before Coppola and Scorsese's Mean Streets. Yeah. All of that stuff. It's just the precursor, as you said, to all that stuff. Oh, I guess you could argue they will find it. Those, those directors will find their voice one way or the other. But yes, it was, it definitely paved the way. That's for sure. Um, okay. Right. So we both got number three the same. So that saved yes. time. And, well, it allowed us to talk at length about, at length, without, about one yeah. of the finest films. Yes. Right. So I'm still on on a record. I've got three out of three so far, Phil. I know what your top two is. I don't know the order. That's what I, I think is the case. Um, but it's my turn, isn't it, to, to pick mm. my number two. I don't think you've got this. If if you have, then I've got it wrong. Um, I've gone for another classic. Um, it's, I think, the best of the... When I say classics, I mean pre-60s kind of yeah. Westerns, you know, anything from that era. Um, it's probably the best example of the lot from that point of view. It's um, John Ford again. It's John Wayne again. It's The Searchers. It's not The Searchers. It is The Searchers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Despite its faults. This is, I, know... I, mean, I mean, I hadn't actually watched this film before about two or three weeks ago, and it's the top of almost every single Westerns list. It's up there. Number one, number two, number three, and all these lists. Please tell me why, because they must be seeing something that I do. <laughs> well, Every good podcast needs a good bit of debate <laughs> and disagreement. And this is about to have some. And even not very good podcasts need debate and <laughs> yeah, disagreement. Exactly. Yeah, like ours. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, this, this is probably the most typical of all the typical classics in terms of it's got the scope, it's got Monument Valley, it's got yeah. loads of landscape it's shots. In it's in colour. It's got John Wayne. It, it looks yeah, the beautiful. Yeah. 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 And... I think, well, actually, what you've just said there is is my first answer to your question. Um, it is the most stunning Western for me, just in pure cinematic terms. I don't mean in yeah. invention with Sergio Leone, but in terms of just pure sweeping shots, it is absolutely stunning looking. It, it shows off those views of Monument Valley and all the other kind of those, those typical Western landscapes, um, as well as ever before. It goes through the seasons. There's a couple of scenes involving snow. Yeah. So you see, so you've even got that element into into the equation. It's got John Wayne at his peak. It's got a really interesting story under, underpinning it, which is essentially his niece has been kidnapped by Red Indians, as they would call them, yeah. Native Americans as we do. And it's about this guy's drive to bring her back. But what's interesting about it for me is, it's not about his drive because of his love and fear for the safety of his niece, so much as it is about his hatred for yeah. the Native Americans. And that's what's interesting for me, not only because... He's a massive racist, isn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, mean let's yeah. cut to the chase. 
John Wayne is a hardcore right wing racist. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. John and in this film, sorry, John, John he, Wayne, played, John, he played a hardcore right wing racist. It must have been a real stretch for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably was, knowing that there was something underlying yeah. going on here. What's interesting is that John Ford has made films. I think I, I don't know exactly his politics, but I, yeah. I believe he's he's quite right of centre as well himself. But he clearly had a conscience about the films he was making. Now, this film was made in 1956. He he was 20 to 30 years to the good in making westerns from yeah. the Iron Horse, I think it was, in the very early years onwards. This was in Technicolor. It's, it's Vista Vision. It's western. He's he's putting all of those things to one side he's he's bringing it into a, a new era and he's he's showing other elements that haven't been gone haven't gone before he in the past things have been a little bit too much black and white we talk about the black hat for the villain the white hat for the good guy yeah. and that goes throughout skin colors painted on or otherwise that goes for various other things um and here what's interesting is that guy with that actor, have come up with the notion that there's a right-wing, racist, angry, disproportionately angry guy who admittedly has some justifiable reasons to be worried and scared for his niece. But he, as I said, he's gone on more with a vendetta against them than he has with an agenda of welfare for his niece. And that changes as the narrative goes on. That's obviously the, that's the narrative arc is his yeah. is his psyche changing within that story i find that very interesting in 1956 you know it's not right at the, it's not revisionist westerns yet this is still right in the heart of as you said earlier the popular era of westerns yeah. and here they are telling this those guys are telling this story yes it's got problems it's got um, as you said people dressed as native americans it looks ridiculous uh, for one thing secondly why don't you just cast native americans we know there's some good ones out there there's yeah. a bloody good one in one flew over the cuckoo's nest for starters and several in dances with wolves but yeah it, um so for me i think the film is just the best example of classic western narrative in the general sense landscapes you know it's got cowboys yeah. and indians it's got peril it's got obviously various different scenarios going on it's got conflict it's got tension it's got all of those things really keenly and genuinely felt and you really feel the power for me of john wayne's transition from this character that he was to the character he becomes it's also got the famous scene at the end after he delivers her back home Sorry, that's a plot spoiler. Right, so you yeah. have had about 65 she, years to watch this, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's but, basically um, got a Stockholm syndrome, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And, I mean, his notion is she's corrupted. She's, she's gone. She's, she's ruined already by having been with them in general, in the presence of them. And he comes to realise, no, there's more to it. There's more humanity to it than that. He brings her back, and then he steps back out and... It's one of the most famous, well, it is the most famous scene, I think, in Western history, is him stepping back outside. He is a man of the outside, the great outdoors. He is the epitome of the Wild West. He is Mr. Western, isn't he? Yes. And here you've got this guy who's been in tons and tons of Westerns already with his braces on in the crisscross shape, with his stupid, really weird lumbering walk that he does, which yeah. is, I, I'm pretty sure that 
people milk it as well for that. Yeah. They, they love that walk, don't they? Because he's so often seen from behind walking somewhere. Yeah. He walks away from the frame of the doorway, which is obviously in, in dark, close up. Yeah. And then in the in the background, you've got the lights and you've got the the teasing look of landscape, the promise of the outdoors that he's walking back towards. So it's as if he's realized the change that's coming for America, for the world. He's placed that girl as the next generation back into the modern world. And he steps back into the past. That's what I interpreted. that yeah. as. It's also seen as a famous shot, just physically as a famous shot, a really cool shot in him framed by the doorway. And I just think it's a beautiful film. I, I partly what I love about it is the fact it's Ford and Wayne that have made that film. Um, it does have its problems. I mean, you still haven't got very good representation of Native Americans in terms of the actors and, and various other elements. And I'm sure culturally there's so many flaws in any depictions, you know, in terms of behavior and everything else compared with how it would have really been. But those are the reasons I think it's absolutely brilliant. It looks beautiful. The cinematography is something else. And I can't disagree uh, Natalie, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Natalie Wood plays the the niece, by the way. Um and um it, it's 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 got multi-generational aspects to it as well, hasn't it? There's the younger is it her brother? I can't remember now. It's a while since I've actually seen it. Um, who's the psychic who's along with along for the ride with him adopted nephew that's it tell me this jeff, it, yeah. jeff played by jeffrey hunter yeah 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 so that, that's my take on it what do you say sir in response <laughs> i i can, I, I, can I you can, see my reasoning i i i think it's probably i don't have i, ne- I never saw this film as a kid and I, I don't have that nostalgic kind of view of it I watched Neither it. Do I. How old do you think I am? And it was <laughs> it was two hours of watching some people camp, following because they followed them in the film for years. They're tracking them for about <laughs> several years through different weather, and him just barking at people. And I, I, I just don't, don't see it. I've got to be honest. I don't see it. I think it's well, it's, the, it's the American representation of of the West that I don't think ever probably ever really existed in a romanticized version of it. And I just, yeah, but I, I think me. you, I think you're probably right with what you just said there. But isn't that the point of the Western? Yeah, yeah. I think it I, is. It's about you're probably myth-making. laying the same criticism at any of the other ones that I've I've uh, have mentioned. But the Wild West for me is the equivalent of medieval England and all the historical battles of various eras. That you know, it's their storytelling, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is at the very heart of their. It's their DNA. Because yeah. they don't have as long a history, that that is the the famous far enough from now past that they can now look to. I mean, they they did it even years and years ago, but even more so now they can look back to it with a, a sense of myth making. I think, yeah. and I think I think you're right. It is. It's probably not a real past, but most storytelling isn't probably. No, yeah, it's written by the true. victors, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the, the American, uh, I've lost it now. Yeah, the American Western. Oh, sorry, it's been named as the greatest American Western by the American Film Institute in 2008, and placed at 12th in the same organization's 2007 list of 100 greatest American movies of all time. 12th overall on a list of that, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'd have to think yeah. about that in some detail. But it, as the greatest Western, you can see why they would pick it. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it's, yeah. I'm uh, sure, I'm, I'm sure it was very influential and it meant a lot to a lot of people. I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't, I, I think it's one of these things that, um, a few years ago, there, there was a film that came, I'm, I'm a big science fiction nerd. A few years ago, they made a film of, um, John Carter, like, of Mars. Which is basically yes, a story yeah. by um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote the Tarzan book. So it was a story that was written about a hundred years ago, almost, if not a hundred years ago, that then influenced so many things that that you've seen everything in it. So when the film came out, it flopped massively because everyone's like, "Well, it's derivative of all these other films." No, it influenced all these other films. And I think there's probably quite a lot of that going on for me with quite a lot of the John Wayne type films. If, if a long convoluted way of explaining how I kind of see it, I've seen films that came after it that I think did that, did that whole thing better. Um, hmm. but that's just my, my, my personal, personal sort of, uh, taste. I, I think the irony for me is I think a lot of directors, including ones I love, as they get older, tend to get more self-indulgent and oh yeah and it, and it and it detracts from their tome of their work it's, it's not just of... directors it's musicians it's novelists it's... oh yeah 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 i mean it, you can extend the argument it definitely but for me almost in a funny sort of way john ford has done the opposite here i think he's become more reflective and bizarrely He's done the opposite of most people. He he hasn't turned seventy and started reading the Daily Mail. He's done, yeah. yeah. He he he's gone the other way. He's almost become more reflective and a bit more philosophical about the bigger picture yeah. here with this film. That's what I find most interesting. I've just done a bit of reading here, and it says the British Film Institute, uh, Sight and Sound magazine, um, which can be a bit up its own arse. I, I have to say, and I'd, I'd say that as someone that used to subscribe to yeah. it, but it is. It can be a bit stuffy, let's put it that way. Yeah. But they ranked it as the seventh best, so five ahead of America's own uh, own reviews as the all, on the all-time basis. That was in 2012. And in, more interestingly, in 2008, the French magazine Cahier du Cinema, um, which, of course, is famously famous associated with yeah. French New Wave, yeah. Truffaut, Truffaut, Goddard, and so yeah. on, yeah, uh, ranked the search as number 10 in their list of the best 100 films ever made. Which is interesting. They do have a love affair with them. Yeah, they do have a love affair with American film, uh, which which is interesting because French New Wave is heavily influenced by American cinema, but it is utterly, utterly different at the same yes. time. But and, I mean, you could say the same about Jack, about Kurosawa, can't you? He got a lot of influence from John Ford, and then he, in turn, influenced a lot of yeah. spaghetti westerns. I thought Kurosawa might get a mention. It's taken longer than I thought, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll maybe come on to that again in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, th- there we go. So that's my number two, Phil. What have you, this is where I, I'm not you sure. You know what I've got for number two. Go on then. What is it? I've gone for Django Unchained. <laughs> is that what you were expecting? <laughs> no, it's not actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got one wrong. I thought you were going for Unforgiven. No, no, no. Oh, I love Django Unchained. I think it's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, go, go ahead. So, with help from a German bounty hunter, Christoph Waltz, in spectacular form, Oscar winning. <laughs> I do like a bit of Waltz. Um, second best ever performance in a Western for me. Um, a Free Slave, played by Jamie Foxx, 
sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal plantation owner played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, it's obviously a Quentin Tarantino film. It's Quentin Tarantino's take on the Western in the same way that Inglorious Bastards was his take on the World War II film. It plays very fast and loose with history, but, and it it's never boring. The characters, all the characters are in this, are all very different. They've all got their own motivations. They're all incredibly interesting. I think it's a fantastic piece of work so tarantino he yeah it's a revisionist western he did it as a kind of tribute to the um italian 1966 sort of spaghetti western django by uh, sergio corbucci whose star franco nero makes actual appearance in this hmm. um it's just it's just it's a three hour long um quentin tarantino film that you can describe what happens in about two minutes but it's just the ride you go with these characters which are properly fleshed out they're properly in, they're all really interesting as i said in the prior um podcast i love quentin tarantino's dialogue i love his characters and this is just it's just wonderful it, it's, it's yeah. just fantastic well tarantino is a problematic figure himself isn't he uh we'll, we'll say but Taking that aside, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. Um, it does have, I think he's very true to the traditions of the Western, isn't he? The yeah. whole thing about the standoff, tension, the, you know, the gunslinging, the attention to detail, the close-ups, all those things, the yeah. widescreen images, um, the archetypes, you could say, to some yeah. degree. Oh, he's got any doing, doing the music on it. Yeah, yeah, and it's not a coincidence he's picked him. I think it's safe to say he's been influenced by Sergio Leone. Oh, well, he, yeah, <laughs> he's described, I think, Good, the Bad and the Ugly as his, like, the best film ever made and the greatest thing in the history of cinema. And his his take on a Western, it, it, I, I wish there were more films like this. It feels like since The Unforgiven... Uh, was probably about 30 years ago now. I mean, I, I remember seeing it at the cinema. Um, there hasn't really been any, yeah. Yeah, anything new in the in the Westerns. It's been a bit of a dead genre the last 30 years, mm. while a sort of science fiction or horror and other genres have kind of over, overtaken it. And in the last 30 years, it's not. I can't think of anything even remotely as interesting as this. It's, it, it, it's a spaghetti Western, but with proper dialogue. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean it's got it's got a lot of the atmosphere of of the Dollars trilogy, and especially the yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West, doesn't it? It's, yeah, you, you can you can taste it. Again, it, it's got that sweatiness, hasn't it? It's got, and it also got, has a bit of a more uh, modern approach in that you know the black characters actually have lines and they're proper characters and they're fully fleshed out and they're i mean samuel jackson's fantastic it is his character is just evil and nasty and horrible well yeah i mean this but is the thing, you can cause... understand why he was that way because he had to be that way to survive on a plantation yeah yeah i mean you've got all these famous um black archetypes haven't you uncle tom You've got yeah. the the mammy or, or the, the nanny yeah. character, whatever you want to call it, who, like what's um, the face in uh, Gone with the Wind. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a for me, it's interesting because it's a different twist on one of those characters. That's what Samuel L. Jackson's role yeah. is. He, he is that one of those. Oh yeah, yes yeah, sir, yes yeah, sir. 
kind of yeah. die. But then suddenly, as you said, he's got this evil streak in him and he's got his own agenda. Isn't that yeah. very American? In, in yeah, its, no, no, way. very yeah. much so. Yeah. Yeah. And he's Which is interesting. In this. Hmm. I, yeah. I like it. I think it's great. And again, you've, you've got, you've got black characters in decent roles. This is the difference that you can do with the modern era Western. You can actually have favorable roles where there's a genuine, interest i think for other audiences yeah. to start with and secondly it it breathes new life into into something it also harks back as you know we, we talked about saturday nights watching sergio leone film yeah for any one of our generation we're also going oh yeah that gives us a little bit of a you know a retaste of something we've had before and it's great. Yeah, it's good i really enjoy it i really enjoyed the i film. do like it I I mean, if, if i have one criticism i think Jamie Foxx is very good in this, but he is, I mean, Christoph Waltz and Samuel L. Jackson and Leonardo DiCaprio, just, they chew the scenery. They, they, yeah. I mean, they are such another yeah. level. He's, he's a little bit left behind yeah. and considering he's the kind of, the kind of the lead. I mean, it was offered to Will Smith and he turned it down because it wasn't the lead, but it kind of is the lead. The film's named after him. Um, it it was can also, be the lead if you're yeah, good enough. It can be he, I think he's, he's not quite, He's great and he's good, but he's not quite as good as the others. It was, I think, it was they were originally going to cast Michael K. Williams, who's most known as being Omar from The Wire. I'd have loved to have mm. seen him do this. That, he's he's just he's kind of got that real nasty streak that you can kind of kind of yeah be working really really well. Definitely, The Wire. If anyone hasn't seen that, why the hell haven't you? It's it's the greatest ever TV series for me. Anyway. And moving swiftly on. <laughs> yeah. So one, um, one other thing I found quite interesting about this was this was the um, it's, it's Tarantino's highest grossing film. One of the reasons for that is because it was the first time one of his films was released in China. None uh, of his previous okay. films had been. And the Chinese were quite happy to release it because they were quite happy to... Um, they get a lot of criticism from the US and if they ever kind of get an opportunity to point out the US's own dark past they won't obviously miss an opportunity to do that um, I mean, Tarantino he wanted to make a film that depicted America's slavery but he didn't want to make a big issue out of it it's not 12 years a slave he wanted to say it how it was but his films mm. are, it's talking about something else it's is it's a, it's a different film, but it doesn't shy away from the subject matter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm just regretting now is I, I really wish I'd put Unforgiven instead of Rio Bravo <laughs> number five. So I wanted to have a revisionist film other than yeah. Django Unchained. Um, because um, I mean, I think Unforgiven would be in my it would be in my top ten. I would yeah, have five Sergio Leone films in my top ten. Yeah, you, you mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, you you mentioned earlier about the western being, you know, it, it was the most popular genre for seventy, eighty years, or seventy about seventy yeah. years, and still quite popular in the seventies as yeah. well. Um, it did die. It literally just went from one extreme to the other. It it pretty much died out um, from mid to late seventies onwards. There was a few early seventies. Yeah, yeah. There's a few interesting films. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid was interesting. Um, yeah, McCabe, McCabe and, Mrs. and Mrs. Miller. Miller. That's really Robert good Auburn. film. That's a good film. Yeah, that, that's got the dirt and the grime as well, hasn't it? It's, it's got that grit and 
it feels more messy and I real, think, like Deadwood, like Deadwood. Yeah, I think, but, but you also had the, the Sam Peckinpah films, which I don't, I can't get on with, I've got to be honest. They're just a bit too nihilistic for me. They're just, the just characters are just so unlikable. I mean, the characters are unlikable in Django Unchained, but you're still interested and invested in them. Whereas the characters in, in a Peckinpah film, they're all just nasty for the sake of being nasty. And they're just trying to make yeah, it look as horrible as possible. I can't, I can't get on with that. That's interesting because I wondered how you were going to feel about that actually. Because they are, he, he's a very maverick, very machismo based film director with, with a lot of flair, a lot of interesting, oh, yeah. really skillful shots, and some really, really flary filmmaking. But yeah, I think you're right. They are too nihilistic. If, if, if you've ever seen the Monty Python sketch, Salad Days. Yes, directed yeah. by Sam Peckinpah, where they're all sat in the garden <laughs> playing tennis, and then suddenly all this blood starts shooting everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that is pretty much everything you really need to know about Sam Peckinpah. Films. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have no doubt they are hugely influential. I just don't. I, mean, I just didn't enjoy violent, spending. I just didn't enjoy spending time with those characters. It no. didn't draw me in. I didn't feel invested in them. It, it, it was just too grim. I mean, I know the Sergio Leone films are grim. But you do feel something for the characters. Yeah, there's a difference, isn't there, between Leone and Peckinpah, definitely. Peckinpah is very much the, you know, the, the shoot from the hip kind of director, isn't he? And I, do, I, I agree. I think it lacks something for its overkill on the machismo front, Yeah. Um, which I don't think Leone's films do have. I think they do have a heart. Um, they've got a bit more discernment to them. Um and I mean, yeah, there's some classic scenes. The Wild Bunch is, is a great film. There's, there's yeah. loads of great scenes in there. And there's other stuff as well, you know. Hey, you want the tequila, no? And <laughs> it is necessary for me to become governor. <laughs> these, these classic lines, which I've quoted yeah. to my wife just to annoy her. There, there's some great stuff in there. But yeah, for me, in the end, they didn't feature anywhere near. Um, respectful nod, I would say. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're probably not even top 20, to, for yeah. me, to be honest. And similarly, Sam Fuller, in working in other genres, is very similar for me as well. He's a very rugged, very raw, very... It's too it's too close to the bone, somehow. Yeah. Everything, yeah, those, those kind of filmmakers, they're interesting. I watch their films, but I can't really warm to them. You no. need some kind of heart somewhere. Yeah. Even if it's brutally, brutally hard to find, you need some kind of heart in the end. Okay, so so you've gone for for the num- two number two Django Unchained. So just a couple of uh, other interesting uh, little points on this. So Quentin Tarantino, he said he's got ninety minutes. I mean, the film's good to two or three quarter hours long. He said he's got ninety minutes of unused material, and he's thinking of making it into a four-hour TV miniseries. Oh. No, 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 no. I don't, no, don't no, think no. we really, really need that, do we? <laughs> no, what no. We do Overindulgence. Need, no, but what we do need is there was a comic adaptation of this released, um, and, uh, which um, Quentin Tarantino did, and he actually wrote a crossover sequel to it called Django slash Zorro. <laughs> now, that is a film I would pay money to watch. Um, he's He's been talking of doing a film where you got... Jamie Foxx and Antonio Banderas 
doing a Django and Zorro film. Don't you want to watch that? That sounds great. Pay money to watch. You're actually going to go to the cinema, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. Um, Tarantino's also said he's sort of planning to write at some point when he he says he's going to kind of stop making films soon. And he said he might write a series of novels based on Django. We, we, We shall wait and see. It's probably a change to mind again. By Might then. be interesting. Could be, could be. Right, okay. Anyway, we come to the big one. Drum We've roll both start. got the same number one, haven't we? Let's not mess about. <laughs> we might have, we might not. It all depends on how much of a fan of the as good, the bad t- and the ugly you are. As soon as we started talking about it, I mean, the good, the bad and the ugly is probably in my top, I don't know about 10, but at least top 20 films of all time. It's one of my uh, favourite, yeah. favourite, favourite films. Yeah. I'd, I I'd, I'd agree with that wording exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just wonderful, isn't it? Again, it's a Sergio, the only film we've spoken quite a bit about it in passing already. Um, for those that don't know, Clint Eastwood is the good. He enters into an uneasy alliance with the ugly, magnificent Eli Wallach, best performance in a western by a mile. I can't, I just no one can touch him. Him in this is amazing. Um, can I can I just interrupt at this point and say yeah. il bueno, il bruto, il no oh, the Italian, il cattivo. <laughs> yeah. So Eli Wallach's yeah. outlaw, and they are in a, a race um, against the bad Lee Van Cleef to uh, locate some hidden treasure. And yeah, it's the third part in the uh, Dollars trilogy, the fistful of dollars, and then the few for a few dollars more, and this is the final part. Again, and, and coming back to what we mentioned earlier, this is probably also my favourite soundtrack of all time out of any film ever. I, I think arguably for me too. I, I'm being cages because we might do this as a subject later. Yes. But, um, it, it's certainly right up there. If for yeah. anyone that doesn't know you, you think, ah, wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I mean. Is it, is it supposed to be a coyote or a hyena or something? I think, something like it? that, yeah. yeah. But it's so evocative, isn't it? Of, of everything yeah. about this film. Ah, um, amazing. Where do we start? Absolutely I could talk amazing. for hours about this. So, um, I mean, we've spoken about the long shots. We've spoken about the, the, the sort of Leone style. I think in this one, he he's just got the characters nailed down, I think. They're, they're just all very, very, I mean, Clint Eastwood, I, he, he, he literally says nothing, but you know his intentions, you know what he's got to do. Eli Wallet steals the show. He's just amazing. I think originally Clint Eastwood didn't actually want to come back and make this film um, because he was worried about being upstage. And to be honest, he was. Um, and I think he was so fed up with working on this with Leone and his long takes and the not speaking English and the not worrying about the dubbing and just worrying about like, get, getting the picture right and trying everything from other angles. He didn't make another film with him. I think they were trying to get him to be harmonica in Once Upon a Time in the West and he was just, no. No, no, no. no I, I think not it was a good back. decision for him not to do that, actually, to be honest. Bronson's yeah. better for that role. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's almost exaggerating beyond the exaggeration isn't it this film <laughs> yeah so on that you've, you've... i think just sorry one last thing on that was that charles bronson was actually the first choice for the lee van cleef role but uh, oh, he, was, okay. he was away making a dirty dozen so he couldn't do it this is the lee, bad, van, Cle- lee yeah. van cleef is fantastic in this hmm. i mean angular 
swarthy, kind yeah. of searing. You're, you're not quite sure what he's doing. Yeah. Conspiratorial Angel look. Angel eyes. Yeah. 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 And, and Eli Wallach is this, I mean, there's almost elements of, we were talking about Peckinpah, there's almost Peckinpah yeah. elements to his performance, isn't there? He's one of those exaggerated Hispanic characters in a Western. But From what I can gather Hispanic, is um, he and Leone hit it off famously. Um, Wallach spoke French, Leone spoke French. So they, and they, had, oh. they shared the same twisted, bizarre sense of humour. <laughs> so Wallach got to introduce sort of mannerisms and change his costume and add other things into the role that the other a- actors were never able to do and you can see he he's he's amazing in this he's just, every time it kind of pans back to him you just think oh this is this is going to be interesting yeah i it, it has so many elements to it which are just brilliant the end scene um that extended end scene is something else um yeah the whole cemetery I, it, scene yeah the cemetery. The, the, just coming back to the music, there's a piece of music when he starts run, Eli Wallet starts running towards the cemetery, which they had to build. They got they they filmed it in Spain. They get I think the Spanish soldiers got brought in to make all of the sets for this. And some there's some massive sets in this. Um, they had to plant thousands of these cross, you know, headstones and crosses. And as he's running through, um, they, they, there's a piece of music called the ecstasy in the gold i think it's called um which is if you ever go to a metallica concert that's their intro tape and it's something majestical about that the hair stands on your back of your neck as soon as you start here the music just starts and then it just kind of lifts and, and just comes in and you, as soon as he kind of you know it escalates and builds up and it's just oh it's inc- it's amazing yeah, I, I I cannot tell you how much I love any of Mordecai. I remember moving into my first bedsit. That was the first music. I think I got it from the library in Worthing, where I'm from, just on yeah. rent and um, on a CD player. And I just, I still remember, because it's just so unusual. It's so different to anything yeah. else, isn't it? As, as, a, as a composer, as a film composer even, there's nothing anywhere near his stuff. It's just completely different to anything. Yeah. Then you've got Clint Eastwood, who next to Wayne is is the next most yeah. archetypal Western figure um, playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's just beautiful. It's it's, it's great. He's as you said, it, it, there's hardly any dialogue in the only films, is there, compared to other films? Yeah. You you look at all the classic ones that we've been talking about earlier. It's all about talk. It's about making the story, making the fable, the narrative, the you know the the myth, the legends. This is the opposite. It's about forming those legends to those that are there. So if you're not there, you don't know what's happening because no one's saying anything. Yeah. You've got to watch them, what they're doing, what they're saying, how they react. It's all about body language. It is a, a performance art of sorts, you could say. Balletic, maybe you could call it. You could call yeah. it. A, a dance of sorts um, with the eyes, even uh, with those close-ups. You know, Clint Eastwood hardly I mean, says Clint, anything. Clint, he's Clint chewing East, cigars. Yeah, I mean, he's the same <laughs> in great. all three. I mean, we must say for these trilogy, they're all different characters. It's pretty much the same actors playing different characters in all of these mm. films, but they're kind of quite similar characters as well. Lee Van Cleef's not a million miles away from the character he plays in for a few dollars more. Um, but before this, I mean, Eastwood was this kind of jobbing TV actor, best known for Rawhide. He went off and mm. made these spaghetti westerns. They were massive. And after that, he was A-list. 
yeah it's kind of strange yeah. you had to go over to it italy to make these films or spain or whatever wherever yeah yeah and it's gone on to be a, a good film director his films interestingly tend to be good they're interesting but too long almost always yes i always think his films are too long these films we're talking about that he's in with sergio leone films are very long yeah but they're not too long I think I maintain a film could be an hour and 15 minutes long and be too long, or a film could be four hours long and not be too long. No, no, it definitely. does depend. It depends on the details of the storytelling. It depends on the acting, the pacing, the editing, the, you know, the interest levels of the story, whether, whether it deserves four hours. I mean, the good about the outlet, I don't know what the running time is. Something close to three hours, but, isn't it? There, there, again, there are several different cuts. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I watched the kind of main. I think was. I, I think I, I watched an extended version actually, which I wasn't even sure we realised that was available. That was best part of three hours long. Yeah, but it doesn't feel. I mean, as long as you've got a comfortable chair, it doesn't feel too long. You know, people no. people sit in cinemas and go, oh, "God, I really fidgeted." Yeah, but was the chair actually comfortable? If it wasn't, it doesn't matter what the film's like. Does yes. it? To be honest, there'd have to be something amazing amazingly transfixing yeah to, to distract you at all but i i think a film could be three hours long and that could be the perfect length and i don't know how long the the true you know the, the perfect version of this is because there have been several versions yes. but it's it's long either way around and it's not too long it doesn't feel long at all. So yeah. I've just checked it. So the version that I watched was the 2002 version, which added another 14 minutes. And they actually got Eastwood and Wallet back to dub 35 years after they'd originally done the film. Brilliant. Uh, they couldn't get Lee Van Cleef back because he died in 1989, unfortunately. Yeah. Eli Wallach, of course, has died now, hasn't he, as well? Yeah. Unfortunately. But Clint so Eastwood only... in his 90s and still making films. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a good career as a director. He's, he's, he's an interesting filmmaker. Again, another right-wing guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, mm. yeah, he's massively uh, right-wing. Yeah. But, uh, now, um, you know... One of, the other, one of the other kind of themes in this, which I haven't really spoken about, is um, this is one of the sort of few films that actually set during the American Civil War. And yes. war is a real theme of this. So uh, from, from my reading... Um, Leone, he he managed to kind of shoot, hunt down lots of sort of photographs of the American Civil War, and they were kind of quite a big influence on the look and style of the film. And there's a complete, there's a real theme of war just being a complete useless waste of time, and nobody, there, nobody really cares what happens and what's going on, and it's just they're fighting and but they're the same soldiers on either side it's just completely absurd it's ridiculous things are happening that are just stupid and there's a real theme of this running through which you don't see in a lot of other westerns yeah whereas the main characters are more worried about this treasure hunt you know yeah i mean the whole thing about gold prospecting pioneering yes. spirits that's that's the other archetypes of the western by the way the yellow belly thing i i googled this because i've been thinking about this for years where does the word yellow or yellow come from and do you know where it comes from no idea according to the internet <laughs> um it actually comes back to england it's um to do with lincolnshire apparently okay. in lincolnshire farming areas they had a lot of mustard farm uh, mustard um fields whatever you want to call it and the sheep would tend to graze in them and 
graze across these mustard plants and get a yellow belly. Oh, okay. and, I, and, and apparently, well, I, I'm, I'm guessing that a load of English people went to the States to and seek their fortune, etc. And somehow or other, that expression got carried across. Because it doesn't have any doesn't have any racist connotations or any other kind of no. connotations that I can see anyway from research. Um, I've always thought that was a bit odd, but the, the word yellow or the colour yellow has always been associated with cowardice, yeah, uh, a lack of strong will, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so yeah, but that that is such a strong feature in westerns. It has to be said. No, 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 definitely. Mm. Um, so so Phil, we've got the same number one. We've got the same number yeah. three as well. We got Who would yes. Have it? I, I, to be honest, if we were doing a top ten, I would have had five. Um, but we'll go into that shortly. I just want to go over a couple of other points of um, on the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly because I could talk about this for a long time. Um, uh, from what I gather, that this the set for this was an absolute absolute health and safety hazard. <laughs> so Eli <laughs> Wallach drank from a, drank a bottle of acid and almost died because someone had put a bottle of acid down next to his drink that he was having. When they were filming the bridge <laughs> scene, they put too much dynamite and explosive down to destroy the bridge, and they just destroyed all the cameras along with all the cameras blew up. So they had to rebuild the bridge and buy new cameras. Oh, you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, in the 1960s in Spain, working with Sergio Leone. Oh, how many of people didn't die making this film? I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. It's, uh, <laughs> it's oh, yeah. yeah. And um, believe it or not, I don't know if there's ever any kind of instance in kind of prequels of this before, but as this is set um, during the American Civil War and fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more are set after the Civil War, this is actually a prequel, even though it's the last in the trilogy. Yes, that's right. Because he puts the poncho on at the end, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we precipitates should... the man with no name appearance later yeah. on or earlier on, depending on your thoughts. Yeah, that's right. It was released on the 23rd of December 1966 as well. So it was actually a Christmas release, interestingly. With the, well, I think that was only being in Italy, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Oh, was that in Italy? It might be. I don't yeah. think we get the dub, we got the dub versions to a year or two later. Hmm. Okay, so, so five months after... England won the World Cup. This film was released in Italy, <laughs> but not in England. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much more you could say about it. I think the American Civil War is actually something that we haven't talked about very much in relation to the subject, maybe less than we possibly should have done. Because yeah. there's so many films, Fort Apache, Drums Along the Mohawk, which I remember seeing years ago, and it took me years to work out what that film was called. I eventually found out, which is a Henry Fonda film, oh, okay. where, where they... This guy has to run out the fort and run, pursued by Native Americans for, I think, two days or something mental. He's trying to yes. outpace them on foot. Um, yeah, and obviously The Wild Bunch, various other films focus on it. Um, it is indelibly linked, isn't it, with the West? It is and it isn't. It's kind of... I mean, yeah. when you look at Gone with the Wind, you don't think Westerns, but... I think Leone looked at doing a version of Gone with the Wind. It's unreal. God, could his... you imagine that? Well, <laughs> from what I gather, I haven't read the book. I've seen the film. Um, the book departs from the the film departs from the book in quite a lot of ways, and I think he wanted to do a version that was a bit more faithful to the kind of original narrative. Was it loads of guys staring each other out in close-up? <laughs> <laughs> what I really would have loved to have watched. So he was prepping 
to make a film with Russian investors about the siege of Leningrad when he died. Oh, that would have been, been good. all tanks and you know World yeah. War Two. I would have loved to have seen that. That that would have been about about eighty nine ninety. He, he was kind of prepping. He was getting the money together to, to kind of finish it off and get ready for it. And then that never uh, never actually happened. He was also talking about. He was also looking at doing a Civil War Western with Mickey Rourke and Richard Gere, but that unfortunately that, that never happened either. Oh, and he also, believe it or not, one other unrealised project of his was Don Quixote with Clint Eastwood and Ewo Wallach. Oh, <laughs> hey, Blondie. <laughs> yeah, Ewo Wallach playing Sancho Panza. Yes. So. Yeah, it could have been interesting. Um, bizarrely, after we decided to do Westerns, um, about a week or two later on Sky Arts, up popped a documentary programme called Discovering Westerns. The Discovering series, it's a shit name, let's be honest. Yeah. However, um, it's interesting, actually. They've got Ian Nathan from Empire Magazine. They've got Bonnie Greer. They've got, um, I think it's Neil Norman, who's a film critic slash historian. And they've got... Oh, no relation to Barry reason. Norman. He's not. No, I did yeah. check that, actually. He's <laughs> not. No. And another guy, Stuart Armstrong or something. Anyway, they've, they've, they've got some really good critics oh, on there okay. and there's some interesting choice. And they did, um, essentially, it was a, a Westerns episode, which was a top 25 the, 20, the top 20 of which was as follows, just for interest. Number 20, Winchester 73. Number 19, The Gunfighter, which I think is Burt Lancaster. I haven't seen it. Number 18 is True Grit, which I'm assuming is the John Wayne version. I absolutely Number seven, loved it. I watched it. If you watched the Coen Brothers one, I thought that, that I have very, seen that, yeah. That was very yeah. close to getting getting into mine. I've got to be honest. I thought that was really it's good. Very good. Because it's... Good film, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a good, it's a good story, but it, it's been updated, so it's a little bit less racist, and yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. a lot easier to watch. And uh, is it Jeff? I get Jeff Bridges and Jeff, Jeff Bridges mixed yeah. up all the time. So yeah, it's Jeff, Jeff Bridges. It's Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges yeah. in, in that is amazing. He's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. Coen Brothers is definitely coming up in the future. We yeah. have to talk about them. Um, 17 was Gunfight at the OK Corral, which, of course, is the White yeah. Herb story. It's been myth- mythologised. It's been retold yeah. over and over Best again. Best version, version of that, Tombstone. That was Tombstone. another one. Oh, that's oh, such I don't a... know. I know it's, it's not a real bad, Hollywood OK Corral. Yeah, I don't know. It's got... Sad, it's got I mean, it's it's got the Battle of the Facial Hair in it. It's got Kurt Russell... Spectacular facial. He was at the beginning of his Western facial hair journey. So you can see he goes, he starts off with a magnificent moustache in Tombstone. And then you get through to Hateful Eight and uh, Bone Tomahawk, where he's got these like huge, great big beards. (laughs) Tombstone, Val Kilmer in Tombstone is just amazing. It's the best Doc Holiday ever. Yeah, oh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, number 16 on their chart, Sky Arts Guys, was The Professionals, The Professional, sorry, which I haven't seen. Apparently is very good. Uh, number 15 is Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Okay. Number 14 is a film that has not got mentioned apart from indirectly so far on this episode, The Magnificent Seven. We'll talk about that in a moment, yeah. actually. Um Number 13, My Darling Clementine, again, talking very yeah. classic mythology stuff. They've got The Good, The Bad and The Ugly at number 12. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> number 11, High Noon, really good film. It's pretty much told in real time, the whole countdown yeah. to, a, to a showdown, which is a brilliant yeah. concept. It's got metaphors about 
communism is a yeah. real underlying issue about the McCarthy witch hunts, which is a really clever idea to put yeah. within the Western genre. The only problem with it is you've got Gary Cooper, you've got Grace Kelly, you've got really pristine, clean-cut sets. It yeah. just feels a bit too clean. Yeah. We're talking about gritty, sweaty blokes in, in the Wild West in Almeria in Spain. Yeah. This isn't that. <laughs> no. But it, it's a great film, though. Shane at number uh, number eleven, uh, number 10, which is another another classic the man who shot Liberty Valance, they've got a nine. They've got um, the outlaw Josie Wales at number eight, which that's is another very, very that's, good that's probably, I mean, very Clint good. obviously made a lot of Westerns in the sort of early, mid, late 70s. And I think that outside the Unforgiven, that's his best non-Sergio the yeah. only film. It's definitely. a very good film. A lot of detail. It's got a, a lot of scope to it. It has a lot of story, a lot of density yeah. to it. It's got a problematic rape scene uh, yeah. of sorts, hasn't it? Which is not great. Uh, I don't know what more to say about that, really. Yeah. But if if you ignore that for a moment, it's a very good film. Stagecoach and Number Seven is a film I do think has dated a bit. Um, it is yeah. another, it's another John Ford classic. It's John Wayne again. I don't know. I think it's lost something in in in, in time. They had Number Six. They had The Wild Bunch. Number Five. They had Red River, which is another classic western. They had Number Four, Unforgiven. Rio Bravo, Number Three. They had the. In fact, the. the Number two, they had the same as me. They had The Searchers. And number one, they had Once Upon a Time in the West uh, because the Good, the Bad and the Ugly was sitting ridiculously at number 12 on their chart. However, some good choices in there amongst those. Yeah. And we should honour honourable mention to a number of those films, which are great films. Yeah, one, one other film we briefly mentioned was Sergio Leone's last Western, which A Fistful of Dynamite or Duck You Sucker, whatever you want to call it. I'd never, I'd never actually watched that before a couple of weeks ago, and it's brilliant. I think it's, film, isn't it? it's kind of quite a malign film. It's got Rod Steiger basically playing Eli Wallach in it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, it, it, there's a lot of really interesting things going on in that. And I, I don't think he originally wanted to make it and kind of got brought out of sort of semi-Western retirement to make it really, really, really good film. Brilliant. Nice. Yeah. Um, we've got some listener uh, top fives as well. Would you like to hear them, Philip? Yes. <laughs> listeners wow didn't we we had any there we go we've got nick ansley from rochdale who is a mate of mine hello nick he's gone for number five dances with wolves which is a revisionist film of sorts it's very passe it's, i think for me it, it, it won all the awards at the time and it's one of those things you look back in hindsight and you think mm. I, I haven't seen it for a long time, to be honest. It it's goes about three hours long, isn't it? I remember it's yeah. one of the, I think it was the last time that I went to the cinema and there was an intermission was to watch that. Yeah. It's the only other Western I can remember, apart from The Searchers, it's got snow in it, though. Anyway, whatever that's worth. Yeah. Number four, he's gone for The Searchers. Maybe he likes snow. Number three, he's gone for The Magnificent Seven. We were talking about um, yes. Steve McQueen trying to steal the limelight. There's the famous scene with him in... Uh, on, on the carriage, on the, on the on the horse and cart thing. And he's trying to lean in front of his fellow actor um, to try. Uh, with, um, no, or was it? No, it's your Brenner doing it yeah. to Steve McQueen, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Leaning in, trying to steal the limelight. And they're trying to act out, out act each other, which is brilliant. Um, it is a great film. It, it is, is another great, classic of the genre, isn't it? You know, you've got a seven samurai. Yeah. yeah, it's a remake of Seven Samurai, exactly, which is interesting because Seven Samurai was influenced by early American cinema. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's interesting how going the very contrasting opposite side of the world in terms of culture 
and back again. And it can keep reinventing itself and enriching itself as it goes yeah. along. Last he week, says, I actually watched the recent remake of the Magnificent Seven, and it wasn't very good. No, I didn't think it would be. <laughs> um, I mean, Denzel Washington's great in it. Um, it's got Chris Pratt in it, who's who, if you watch, you know, Jurassic World or Guys of yeah. the Galaxy, he's yeah. incredibly um, kind of charismatic guy. He's like a young Harrison Ford in so many films. He's just he's just rubbish in this. He's just wasted. Yeah. Yeah, Disappointing. Yeah, don't bother. No. So, yeah, so, so Nick's gone for Dancers Walls at five, The Churches at four, The Magnificent Seven at three, which is a cracking film. Number two, you'll be happy with this, Once Upon a Time in the West. You'll be even happier with his number one. Good, the bad and the ugly. That's what he's talking about. He did also go on to say, although I could have stuck Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, Pale Rider, uh, well, Big Pale Country. Rider. That's another um, Clint Eastwood film. Yeah. And Big Country, he said as well, which is another classic Hollywood uh, Western. That's a good film. He said they're in there as well. Josh in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, mate of mine. Hello, Josh. He's he's come up with a few. This is where it gets a bit more transgressional. He, he said um, some newer ones. Um, I don't know if you include them as Westerns. He says True Grit. So obviously he's talking about the newer version yeah, of True Grit, which ties in yeah. what you've just said. Hateful Eight, which you did actually yeah, briefly mention earlier that's on, great. which I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it it's was again, it it's got a very long pretty much film. Panned. It's not a normal western though. It's almost like a kind of a play. I mean, it's set in a carriage and then in a in a hut. I mean, it's three hours long. It hasn't got any of your normal revenge yeah. this or revenge that. It's it's almost like an Agatha Christie type. Thing. I think you know, it's, it's one a of very his, different thing. It's one of Tarantino's best films, and I think he's at most at home with westerns. I yeah. think. Maybe Sergio Leone is his favourite director, who knows? Anyway, Josh has gone True Grit, Hateful Eight, No Country for Old Men, neo-Western. Yeah. You can argue the case for a Western there. He it's went written for by um, Cormac McCarthy, wasn't it, who originally wrote the book, and he's written Blood Meridian and all yeah, these other kind right. of uh, That's right. He, he, went for, he went for Django Unchained, and he yeah. went for... Uh, Three Tenter Humour, the remake. The remake, that's very good. I watched that recently. Russell Crowe's great in that. He is good, yeah, it's isn't good. he? Yeah, it's a good film. Yeah. He sued some Western, doesn't he, Russell Crowe? Yeah, he was in The Quick and the Dead as well, which was a bit mm. rubbish. Sam <laughs> Raimi, I knew you'd watch that one here. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, interesting films, those. Um, on the debate about genre, No Country for Old Men's an interesting one. I'll tell you what, one of my favourite films of all time, and when I say one of my favourite, this is a list that's about 150 about, long, yeah. so I'm not telling you where it sits yeah. in that. But um, Bad Day at Black Rock is a phenomenal film. It's um, Sturgis director. It's got Spencer Tracy, who's basically a guy in, immediately after the post-World post post War Two, He's sent to the outback of America somewhere to deliver a medal to a Japanese-American um, serviceman. Uh, I think it's, um, yeah, he, he's supposedly gone back there and retired, but nobody can find him. Something seems to have happened to him. And essentially, what you're talking about here is a Western. Once, yeah. once he gets into that local environment, to me, this is a Western through and through. Um, so I'd throw that one in there as well. Anyway, that was Josh's, um, Josh's five. Raymond in Stockwell, South London, has come up with his favourite five Westerns. He says The Big Country gets another shout. The Searchers, High Noon, The Magnificent Seven and The Outlaw Josie Wales. He said the latter just pips the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the gunfight at the, good, at the um, OK Corral for me. 
There we go. And finally, my mate, another, another mate of mine, Keith Phillips from Dis in South Norfolk. That, that sounds like a, an oxymoron, doesn't it? Um, anyway, he, he said, any Western movie by John Ford, Red River, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, which is an, another one of the cavalry yeah. films, The Searchers, The Big Country, greatest music score ever in any... Well, actually, The Big Country soundtrack is very good, by the way. Anyway, he says, the greatest music score ever in any film once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, he also gives some Second odds to High Noon. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. High Noon and Lonesome Dove, which technically is a series. A but TV it's, series, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very good, apparently, and I haven't seen it, to be honest. Uh, he said, I could go on and on. And he really yeah. could. Keith's a great guy. And, yeah. and he, he, he could go on and on about film. I know it because I've spent many hours drinking drinks oh, with we'll him have and to get him about on. film. He's brilliant. In fact, we should. Keith, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, you're coming on one of these episodes because you'd be perfect on here. Get yourself a bottle or two of red wine um, and then, <laughs> then you're in. You're in. We, we are looking to do that, actually, probably by invite only to start with, maybe getting some guests in to add some extra flavour to the occasion. They yeah. could be our, the coriander to our main meal, can't they, Phil? definitely but if you do want to contact us we are now on social media we have a facebook page film fives and we have a twitter at film fives that's spelt out i know our logo says with the number five but it's spelt spelt f-i-v-e-s on that so um, it's in the early days at the moment there's not much on there but i'll be sending the links out and everything else so come and follow us give us a review all of that kind of stuff that all helps Download it, please. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone. Indeed. And on the same subject, we are starting to develop the notion of having our own film accolades for the greatest of all time. I know we're, we're, we're hitting in on a high level here because we're talking about the best of this, the best of that. So we are talking about a lot of great films. There is an enormous, enormous number of shite films out there. We're yeah, mainly not talking about those. <laughs> there's great shy films isn't there but we are we are talking about a lot of classics here and a lot of films that we dearly love it's that's just the format what we're working with here but we are looking to gradually build a uh, just a whole uh, swathe of of award-winning films that that fit into the film fives phil and russell golden seagulls we call it golden seagulls because we're both from the coast in sussex shore and by sea from Phil now living in Worthing. I'm from Worthing now living in North London. Um, but we're um, we call it the Golden Seagulls and yep. Silver Seagulls. Goldens are absolute classics. So we're talking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Once a time, <laughs> once upon a time in the <laughs> West. Are we talking the searches, Phil? Not for we might need to dis- we need to discuss <laughs> this one, I think. We think we might need to discuss that one. But the Hitchcock films from series yeah. one, uh, from take one. Excellent. And Parasite, best film in both our eyes from last year, go in as Golden Seagulls. We'll go into more detail and we'll, we'll maybe do even a separate episode on that later on. But if you've got any opinions on that, if you want to contact us, go to the same contact details that you've just heard from Phil. Um, on that note, I think we round up there, don't we? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, the only other things I was kind of going to mention, a couple of other recent westerns that i quite enjoyed were meek's cut of and the sisters brothers they were both pretty good and i i do like a zorro film but i left them out of these marvelous i didn't really think that was kind of western but the uh the mask of zorro the uh anthony hopkins and antonio banderas 
came very close, not getting in my top five, but not all even my top ten. But it I, can't believe, I can't believe I can't believe we're been. talking about this. I can't <laughs> be- this has gone on one minute too long. This podcast yeah, it'll okay. be ten hours long, but it's gone one minute. Too- oh, a bit of action adventure. <laughs> you can't go wrong. <laughs> it's good fun. Actually, it's good fun. That film. It's good fun. The I'll give you that. Rubbish, but yeah, I should imagine <laughs> so. <laughs> so on that note uh, we're going to bid you farewell that's the end thank of you the very much for listening yes and please keep doing so if you've got hours and hours and hours to spare listen in again <laughs> <laughs> cheers and on that thank note you. i'm going to say cut <laughs>